Hello, friends. Austin here. The Evil Dead franchise has a special place in my heart, not just as a horror fan, but as an alumni of Michigan State University. That's why I loved reading articles about the latest installment, Evil Dead Rise, as well as articles about the original films and the latest issue of Fangoria, who just so happens to be bringing you today's episode. Featuring exclusive articles about your favorite monsters and up-and-coming terrors, each collectible issue is sure to delight with fright. Be sure to check out the Fangoria store website for subscriptions and a bunch of cool merch. And while you're there, use promo code WOULDYOUDIESHOW for 20% off your entire order. That's right, 20% off your entire order. Applies to subscription and one-time orders. Applies to the first subscription order only. Now, it's time for the Spartans and Horror Special. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by four amazing guests who all have two things in common. They did great things in the horror genre, and they were all a part of my alma mater, Michigan State University. I wanted to celebrate my school because a few months ago, the Spartan community suffered a tragedy that devastated us, students, staff, family, and alumni alike. I wanted to use my little platform to help out, even just a little bit, but, you know, there's only so much you can do with the horror podcast. Even so, I had the idea to make this special so we can uh, celebrate the accomplishments of my fellow Spartans in the horror genre. In addition to the four guests on this special, previous guests of this show who also attended Michigan State include Doug Lemelin, Lisa Petersmark, Evan Jakovac, and Travis Conti. The music playing right now is performed by another fellow Spartan, my friend John Owens. So, Michigan State is a huge part of not just myself, but of this podcast. So, now, uh, time for the first guest, and go green! Alrighty, friends. First up, we have novelist, short story writer, screenwriter, film producer, and actual rock star whose work in horror is the definition of prolific. Some of his highlights of his impressive resume include Goblin, Pearl, Daphne, and the smash hit Bird Box. Please welcome fellow Spartan, Josh Mallerman. Go green. Go white. And hello. Uh, I, we did it. We said we were going to do it. We wrote each other, and here we are. Look at us. We're we're human. We're humans fulfilling our destinies. <laughs> the, the definition of Spartans will. <laughs> uh, so I'm very very happy to have you on. I'm very happy to talk to you about horror and about Michigan State. And this being a horror podcast, I gotta ask, how long have you been a fan of the genre? So I was about. I think I was about 10 or 11 or 12, somewhere in there. And I was playing basketball with my brothers and my cousin at my cousin's house. And I'm not sure what I was saying or what I had revealed before, but my uncle was like, Josh, there's a movie that I think that you would like. And he showed me um, Twilight Zone, the movie. And it was the first horror movie I ever saw. And I was, that was it. It was like love at first sight. And for me, it makes a lot, and this is the second horror movie I ever saw was Creep Show. So the first two horror <laughs> movies I saw were anthology horror movies, and I think that oftentimes, now, times now, I'll be asked like, "Wow, you know, 
Bird Box is so different from Unmarried Carol, from Daphne, and they're, they're each their own, right? But it makes sense that my introduction to the genre was these totally individual stories within a film, right? Twilight Zone, the movie has the um, societal like statement segment. It's got the, the, the creature feature. It's got the, the boy, God, anything goes, imagination, anything goes. And it's got even the heartstrings, the, the Spielberg um, segment. So from my introduction to horror, to see, to, I immediately saw it as this elastic genre that anything goes, anything can go. And that that like immediate education is, is still with me right now. That's awesome. Bringing up education, we're going to pivot a little bit. What attracted you to Michigan State? So out of high school, and I did well in high school, um, grade-wise and everything, and I took real like pride in that. But my friends were all um, in in like bands and and great. They were already playing like drums and bass and et cetera. So I had been like trying to write already like short stories and poems and whatever. And, and at some point near the end of high school, the beginning of like college that summer, it was sort of like, hey, let's let's form a band, this kind of thing. Josh, you write, maybe you could write songs. You know, nine, 18, 19 year old logic, right? <laughs> yeah. So. I kind of feel like after high school, in a sense, I was already like, I'm going to write novels. And so in a way, I was already moving on or something from school and this kind of thing. But I went and I checked out Ann Arbor. And, it, and I, to be honest with you, I was a little intimidated by it back then. And it seems silly in hindsight because it's, yeah, it's a city, but it's not like New York or something, you know? Right. It felt like a metropolis to me. It kind of scared me. And then well, one of my best friends was going to Central and him and I were just starting to like make music together. I went with him to Central for one year. And it just, the whole experience there, as fun as it was, it was also like, man, everyone here is just completely wasted always. And I felt like I needed a little more, little more like uh, of the academic side. And I was talking mm -hmm. to another friend who went to state and he was like, you should, you should definitely come here. And I went and checked it out and fell in love with it. The, the city, the campus, um, just the the freaking vibe in East Lansing was so right for me. It was like bustling, but it still felt like agricultural. It still felt of the of the earth rather than Ann Arbor, which feels like a like a like a colder city to me. And so it was a kind of like love at first sight for me. And I definitely, you know, again, I was already trying to write novels. I'm now in a band. Sometimes I regret not giving state my all like all my attention I, I mean i wrote a novel while i was at state i made it 300 pages into one you know i mean come on i mean yeah time to write a novel you're probably not doing all the reading you need to be doing right so right so in sometimes i it's not a regret i did graduate but sometimes mm -hmm. i say to myself like man i wish i had given a little bit more to the school side back then that said once i graduated my um songwriting partner and bandmate Mark and I, he also went to state. We moved to New York. And when we were in New York, we decided to start reading like all the books, like maybe if we didn't finish them or didn't read in high school and college. So state for me was, gosh, I mean, it's literally where I fell in love with writing and fell in love with music and started playing shows. And it, it, it was an electrifying experience that I can't, I can't, it would be hard for me to express to someone. It wasn't just like a good time or partying. It was like, yeah, it was that stuff too. But it was like discovering what I want to do with my life. It, it was a tremendous period for me. I think I had a very similar 
experience in the sense that I found myself while I was at Michigan State. And I found, because my degree was in film studies, so it was a lot of like the critical analysis and theoretical stuff, all the pretentious film snobbery. <laughs> but I, uh, no, that's where I realized I really, really loved the horror genre. I was able to take like a whole class off of the films of Af Alfred Hitchcock which that's amazing <laughs> oh yeah that's funny that you bring that up allison my fiance brought up hitchcock last mm -hmm. night she's like let's watch one of his movies i'm like oh, oh man but we, we ended up drinking too much and not watching a movie but <laughs> the point is that i'm gonna go on a trip i went on a hitchcock mm -hmm. bender where i watched um a movie of his a day for like gosh it must have been like 40 days or something and it was glorious it was glorious yeah. it was almost like having episodes of a tv show like like your favorite series, like, okay, now I'm going to watch The Trouble with Harry. Now I'm going to watch Notorious. Now I'm going to watch Rear Window. Now I'm going to watch Rope. Now I'm going to, you know, it was, and it just kept getting, I mean, that dude, talk about a prolific. Yeah. Whoa. That dude made, what, five silent movies? Not because, not for some artistic choice. He started in the silent era. <laughs> and then he, he made a movie a year until like, pretty much until Psycho in 1960. And then it's every few years from then, he still is making movies into the 70s. I mean, what are we talking about? And my favorite thing about Hitchcock, and I know you were you were talking about State, but... We're my, good. <laughs> my favorite thing about Hitchcock is that his, like, sort of more seminal... I, I know his whole career is brilliant, but his more, like, seminal stuff is, like, in his late 50s, in his, in his 60s. Like, he's as old as the century. I think he's born in 1899 or something like that. So... In 1957, what is that? Rear Window, he's like 57, 58. In 58, Vertigo, 59, uh, North by Northwest, 60 is Psycho. And, and he's 60 years old. So anytime we have that, when I see someone maybe online or something, say like, uh, uh, you know, it didn't work out for me or, 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 or people peak out in their 20s or 30s. I'm like, the hell are you talking about, man? You're talking about like boy bands or something. Like you like check out yeah. Hitchcock's career. That dude literally got better the older he got. And he, and then and then at some point, okay, you know, the birds were, was 1963. Yeah. I mean, you know, that that guy's career, if there's anything for all, all of us to model, it's that one. No, I, I love that. And honestly, it's something uh that I need to hear sometimes because I'm I'm 28 and sometimes I'm like, uh, am I really doing it enough? And then I have to be like, I'm 28. I just yep. got to keep going. <laughs> yep, 100% agree. I didn't, dude, I didn't write my first novel until I was 29. And now, like, I tried to for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I tried to write a novel and I just couldn't finish one. I didn't know how. And he's 29. I had a breakthrough. I even hear, look, I have, I know it's a podcast, but I have, this is always by me. It's the first book I ever wrote. And my brother, like, printed it out for me and made, like, a little book of it. And it was, you can imagine what this felt like being handed this. Yeah. I finally finished the novel, like, and I, my brother bound it for me. I was 29, first novel. I have now written 37 novels. So here you are saying, you know, you are 28 years old. And you're like, you know, am I doing enough? And I felt the same way. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And I, I can't seem to, you know, whether it's novels or making a movie or just doing po whatever podcasts or, or even just doesn't matter what it is. But yes, there is. Like you can do whatever you want to do, you can do right now. And that is always the case. I think, I don't mean to talk so much. And like You're good. 
I think sometimes that people think that there needs to be like an inciting event. Like, let's say that there's like a bad couple, right? Mm -hmm. They're always saying, we're going to break up. And no, we're not. And we're going to break up. I think that they're expecting some inciting, like ending event for them to go their separate ways. Like either maybe someone cheats or I don't even know what would happen. But no, it doesn't work that way. One of you actually just has to walk away. And the same thing in the inverse here. It's not like an inciting event where you suddenly like done like you know a, a robed magician and enters your office and says now you write no it's like today is just going to be the day where you actually start writing your first novel and today is no different than any other day and i think once that sets in then you say to yourself what does it matter what age you are what does it matter how much you've done or what kind of writer you've been i mean i could write a, a romance tomorrow i could write a completely experimental but it doesn't matter that doesn't the only inciting event is like within you that like the idea, like I'm going to do this. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's something that everyone needs to hear, uh, you know, because we I feel like we could get really down on ourselves, but it's important to just be reminded. Just keep going. Yeah. You know, I see I'm sure you see this, too, on like Twitter and stuff. I'll see like um people talk about imposter syndrome. And I just I I don't even I don't think it's real, man. I like I don't buy it. Here's why. If you think about the best book you've ever read, I mean, first of all, I don't really, you and I probably don't rank things like this, but whatever. Mm -hmm. The best book you've ever read and the worst one you've ever read, right? Chances are, man, that if you sit down to write a novel, it's going to end up somewhere on that spectrum, right? And yeah. if you bust either end of that spectrum, if you write the greatest freaking, oh my God thing ever, or if you write the worst, oh my God thing ever, both cases are legendary. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and and that's so true because like either way you just made a legacy. You will be remembered. That's not a bad deal. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I agree. It's you know talking like this and thinking like this can sometimes feel like what's that guy's name? Tony Robbins, like a self-help dude or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Here's what you imagine got imagine me with like a headset like walking in a <laughs> Here are the three rules to avoid imposter syndrome, you know? But mm -hmm. it really does seem odd to me. It's like, what are you comparing yourself to? Like, truly, what are you imposter to who? Like, there are celebrities, like, to the person who said, I have imposter syndrome, I guarantee within the last few days, they said they didn't like a movie, they didn't like a book, they think this actor's lame. So, so are you imposter of what? Like, those people are succeeding or are visible or whatever. So you don't think you're as good as these people that you don't think are any good? You right. see Right. I think that it's a, uh, I think that all it is, is the natural sort of anxiety of like, of like um, revealing yourself. And I think that the novel, aside from perhaps the like stand up comedian, the novel is as naked as you get. There's no drummer to hide behind. Like if they don't like you, maybe they'll like the guitar sound. There's no cinematographer shooting your movie. You know, there's no um, uh, with an actor like some, you know, uh, well, he tried his hardest, but it was someone else's poor script or whatever. You're alone with a book. That's just you. Hi. And so I think that people sometimes mistake the natural anxiety of that, of revealing it. You put a book out, that's you. You know, if you and I were given literally the same exact plot points, and, and this would be actually a super interesting thing to do with someone. Mm -hmm. um, and we were given literally, I mean, the sun comes up, um, the front door opens, you know, this kind of stuff our books would be so insanely different from each other. And we have like every single beat is, is the same uh, plot wise. 
because you can't hide your voice in a novel the way you describe the the way you Austin describe the sunset is just going to be different than me and maybe yours yeah. is more optimistic than mine or or more po poetic than mine or or whatever it is and already the very first line we're dramatically different from each other and we're revealing ourselves and I think that people mistake that revealing the anxiety of the of that which it is it's scary as being I don't maybe I don't belong here no 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 no, no. everyone's scared dude that I love that <laughs> Not, I don't love that everyone's scared, but I love that we can it, that, that we can admit that you know, yeah, that it's okay to be like you know what we're all we're all just trying out here. Uh, I saw uh. an interview, <laughs> I saw an interview with uh, John Lennon recently. Well, actually, because it was just it was like recorded, and he had like a show in Toronto or something coming up, and the interviewer was like. You getting, are you nervous? And he was like, oh, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous for the show, blah, blah. And, and I was like, wait, what? John Lennon gets nervous for a show? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, if this dude gets nervous for a show, well, how the hell do you think we all feel? <laughs> it, I think it's important to just take a step back and realize that, you know? Yep. Something I want to talk about real quick, because I'll regret it if uh, I don't bring it up. Something that was similar in our MSU journeys is we were both in bands while we were up at state. Oh, tell, tell me about yours. So I don't mean to brag, but I was in kind of a big band. Okay. It was it was a Spartan marching band. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> are, you, are you serious? Yeah, I am serious. I was in the I was in the marching band up at state. That is awesome. What did you play? I played trumpet. Oh my God. Wait a minute. And you're in Wyandotte, and do you still play yeah. trumpet? I'll pull it out every year for alumni band because I like to go up, uh, up to campus and do um, the alumni band get game and break my shins. But because uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't march anymore, so it's like, and I forget to stretch. <laughs> but that's a whole different thing. Um, so I don't play trumpet as much anymore. But I've been playing guitar more, so I'm still musical. But I still talk to all of my friends who are who was in the trumpet section with me. And I've had other Spartan trumpets on this show to talk about their favorite horror movies. Oh, that's that's amazing. I um God, like I, you know, if our band we we make albums regularly, I would love to ask you to play trumpet if you want to do or something one day on on an album or something. I'm gonna take you up on that offer. Okay. I just gotta oh. give right. me a couple. Um, give me a couple of weeks. I got to build my chops back up. <laughs> yeah, I'm right on. So that's, I don't know very many people that know how to do that. That is amazing. My niece, Maya, is in the Western marching band, Western Michigan. Oh, hell yeah. That's a good yeah. marching band. Yeah. And I went and saw um some, she's also in like the Western, like, like orchestra or something. I don't know. I don't know exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. At a university, but I went and saw it and it was, it was amazing. She does percussion in it. She, um, drummer in the marching band and percussion in the orchestra. And, and it's like amazing for me to see all this, you know, and she's like yeah. best friends with all of her um, drum line crew or whatever. And it, it, it it's something I wish that I, our drummer, he was in the high school marching band. He, he needs to, he talks about it so fondly, you know, he really does. It's like, I, I almost, I, I am a, a late comer to music. And I kind of wish that I had that experience that you had, because that must have been you played at like football games and stuff. Yeah, I, I was very lucky. I'm not a great trumpet player, so it took me a couple tries to actually get into the band because uh, 
it's very competitive to get in. But I did, I didn't make it. I missed the Rose Bowl by a year. The oh, year before, man. the year before I get, I got in. We went to the Rose Bowl. So my three years, I went to a Cotton Bowl, another Cotton Bowl, and then we didn't go to any bowl my senior year. <laughs> you um, did you ever meet Mark D'Antonio? Yeah, I have a picture with Mark oh, D'Antonio. Well, he was uh, coach. He must have been coach when you were playing, right? So when I was playing, I was my years at Michigan State was 2012 through 2017. Okay. And my band years were 2014 through 2016. Yeah, I graduated May 2017. So I did those three years. But I I did the basketball band all five years. So I got to go to a Final Four. Oh, I got to whoa. go to a bunch Wait, of championship dude. classics. Oh, dude, I'm a crazy Izzo fan, man. Did you ever meet him? I, I've met him quite a few times. I have one picture with him. I'll send it to you. I have one picture with him, and it's blurry. <laughs> you, need, you need to get him on here. I wonder if he likes horror movies because that would be that would be yeah. I would love to talk to him. Yeah, what if he what if, <laughs> what if you got him on here and he, and he brings up the most obscure horror movies like oh you know I got a big <laughs> like, uh, animal holocaust I you know. <laughs> we're like what? <laughs> yeah, he's he's bringing up like audition or something. Yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible. That would be incredible. So maybe we should talk about favorite horror movies because that sounds fun. <laughs> no, but you well, no, you you lead the way. I didn't mean to lead the way then. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Because this is something I can bring up with while still being at uh, Michigan State thing. Oh, my God. Words was so hard right now. <laughs> but um, while I was up at State, especially in the latter years where I lived in what we called the trumpet house, which was like five of us guys, we were all in the trumpet section. So we would we just rented a house together that we would is, has, has, is yeah. Doing yeah go on sorry yeah no you're good but we would watch a bunch of horror movies together and that's at michigan state was the first time i saw the evil dead movies oh wow which is the perfect place to watch the evil yep. dead movies evil dead would be will be brought up a lot <laughs> with this being like the michigan state yeah ep uh episode it's the first time I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The first time I saw Audition, The Shining. But your mind, like a lot of classics. your mind was blown. You were like, "Yeah, shit, this genre." I'm a bit later, like you are. I'll, I'll hear about people like they'll be like, "I saw The Shining when I was 11." I'm like, "What?" You know, I I, yeah. I was more like 17, 18, 19 when I started to see Exorcist, Shining, like in a real way. You know, same here. Yeah, and and I was again. I was already into it from, like I told you, when I was 12 or whatever, from the Twilight Zone. But then a few years later comes like the, the hardcore serious, like, yeah. hey, I think Psycho was one of the earliest ones for me. And just the movement of the violins, the like the dun 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 the rhythm of the movie was so like relatable to me. And Anthony Perkins like awkwardness was so relatable to me. And like, I had never seen like a lead actor so like, awkward before you know like yeah like to, and for the actress to die like 20 minutes in right everything about that movie was like oh whoa you know and and i mean i can talk about hitchcock all day but psycho <laughs> the early ones for me that that again said hey man anything goes in this genre dude like mm -hmm. like even the the main male character of your movie doesn't have to be like john wayne dude it could be like yeah. this like, weird 
kind of like talking about like taxidermy, you know, hotel owner, you know? <laughs> exactly. And it's, oh, I love Psycho. Um, I'm glad you bring that one up because the first time I saw Psycho was in the Hitchcock seminar I took at State. <laughs> first time do I've you, ever seen it. Do you remember who taught that? I'm just curious. It was Professor Bill Vincent. I don't know if you had right. any classes with him. I don't think so, but I'm no, I'm a lot older than you. I'm 47. Uh, I know he's been there a while because I know he was there when um, Sam Raimi was. Oh, oh, oh my. Okay, so wow. Yeah, no, then he's, okay. Um, Did you know, and you probably didn't know this, but I didn't know this for a while, that in Ferndale, um, just on Nine Mile, is like the brick building that where the Evil Dead fellas had their first office. So you ever hang out in Ferndale? I don't go to Ferndale too often, but I have friends that live in Ferndale. Have you been in that building? I've not been to the building. Okay, it's 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 amazing because like you, it's obvious right away which one it is too. If, mm -hmm. if you're going south on Woodward, it's um west on Nine okay. Mile, and it's like the brick building down. Like there's a bookstore, the library bookstore, which is incredible, and then there's like a brick building on your left, and I think it was I think it was second floor, like in the back on the left, their office. But to, in in back then, Ferndale was much more sparse, obviously, when they were there. But you can just walk in that building, man. Walk up the stairs, walk down the hall, and you're like, this is where those dudes were like trying to, they had already filmed it, yeah. and they were trying to get a distribution, and they were working out from like this room right here. And it's like, holy cow. I got to do that. I'm going to yeah. do that this summer. Yeah, it's, 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 it's truly like, it's an awesome feeling, man. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Because like, because people go on these pilgrimages, pilgrimages to like the Myers house, or the Stew's house from Scream, or like the Nightmare on Elm Street house, or the Poltergeist house. I'm gonna go to where the Evil Dead was. Pretty much, I don't know if "born" is the right word, but yeah. was released. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine they were probably in that room with like the freaking film canisters. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And at that point, nobody else had seen it. They were like so young, you know, and like mm -hmm. it's just a god. It's such a crazy. And they're they're um I think Bruce Campbell's from like like four miles from where I'm sitting right now, like Bloomfield area or Bloomfield Hills. I or... think I think so. I just listened to his audio book not too long ago. One. <laughs> um it was the first one. If I think that one's if shins can kill. Oh, I, I read that out loud to Allison. That was great, wasn't it? It's such a good book. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I'm sure he he must have read his own. Oh yeah, yeah. I listened to the audiobook and yeah, yeah. it it hits a little differently when like he's reading it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't hear that sounds incredible. Yeah. Something I'd like to ask is do you have any kind of horror movie or horror book related memories while you were at Michigan State? Cause like like I said earlier, I vividly remember watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. Cause one of my best friends, he's like yeah, uh, we were talking about Leatherface for some reason. I go, I've never seen it. And he goes, okay, drop what you're doing. We're watching it right now. And we did. <laughs> I I remember distinctly me and the um, other songwriter in the high strong, Mark Owen. So Mark and I mm -hmm. got like a fifth of Jim and sat down and watched The Shining. It was like the middle of the day. And we we're like watching The Shining and just like, I think we finished this fifth between us. And we were like, just we couldn't stop talking about it, you know, just how brilliant the shots and the mood and yeah, the whole like vibe of the whole thing. And and that's a very distinct memory for me in terms because 
it's really easy now, uh, surrounded by all these horror novels and having written dozens of them and, and having seen so many movies and, and all this stuff. And I have something fun to show you um, mm -hmm. before we get off to. It's easy now to be like, oh, it's always been horror and this kind of thing. But no, there was actually like an informative period. There's a period where it sort of galvanizes for you, you know, where you're not just into it. Now you're starting to pledge your allegiance to it. Now you're starting to say, oh, like this, this is part of me. And it's not just like, oh, I, I, oh, I, I rather fancy a horror movie here and there, you know, like, no, it's like, yeah. uh, actually, I love this. And I remember distinctly in watching The Shining at State and on Division Street, um, just like thinking like, wow, this is this is one, this is maybe the greatest movie ever made. That's a that's an awesome story. Yeah. I got to tell you a story real quick, because I know we're 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 getting close to time up, but I think you'd appreciate this story. My best friend from Michigan State, he was a Spartan trumpet. Um, a little bit after we both graduated, I was visiting him at his place and Bird Box just came out, the movie. Uh, you, you might be a little familiar. <laughs> and we had just got back because we went to we, we actually went to a football game that day, uh, the Spartans football game. So we got back to his place and I've been drinking all day. And I'm tired. He goes, we're watching Bird Box because you need to see it, Austin. I'm like, oh, yeah, I heard about this. This is going to be awesome. And we're watching it and I'm digging it. And it was one of those things where I was super tired. I was super drunk. I don't remember how I fell asleep, uh -huh. but I remember waking up and there's a clown covered in blood. Just it was the goriest thing I've ever seen. He's demolishing this dude with like a meat tenderizer or a meat cleaver or something like that and i i look at my friend i go bird box got really weird he played a <laughs> prank on me he put on terrifier he put on terrifier and i woke well, up I, I haven't seen those movies but i hear they're pretty freaking gory huh i haven't they, seen that well they are super gory and now now bird box and terrifier will forever be <laughs> connected funny, bird box, have you read have you read the book i only read goblins <laughs> oh you read goblin oh thanks yeah i love i would love to get you bird box um i don't have i have to read that one still yeah i want you to i, I would love for you to read that because it's i mean it is the opposite of like terrifier it's like yeah it's just a i almost equate bird box to like if i were to play like one ominous note on the uh synthesizer and it plays through the whole book, just mm -hmm. that is through the whole book. And and to me, Bird Box is very small in a way. Like it's you, you'll you'll see when you read it or something. But I always saw it as like almost like a Twilight Zone episode, just very small. These people in this house were not allowed to look outside. What do we do? And so while I was writing it, there was a sense of um almost like a sense of this was an episode of a show. I had already written three books before. And it felt like, well, here's the next episode, almost like the monsters are due on Maple Street or something. And then after that, uh, short, not long after that, it was like on Barry Carroll. Like now here's a Western. Now here's, and again, I think this all tracks back to that anthology introduction to the genre. And, but Bird Box was a very, very clean experience for me. I would, I didn't drink during that period. It was only like a month of uh, writing the rough draft. I would wake up at seven. The coffee would be like kind of like set to go from the night before. Wake up at seven, turn it on, sit down, writing by eight, done by noon, 
carry on with the day. And by the end of each day, this was, I almost feel like it was like a cosmic present. By the end of each day, I knew what I was going to write the next morning. So I didn't really think about it much. I'm just hanging out with my girlfriend at the time and friends. And then I'll be like, oh, and then uh, tomorrow, tomorrow they go to the well. Okay, tomorrow they, they need to get water from the well. Okay. And then I go to bed and I wake up, turn the coffee on, sit down and write that scene. Then, you know, uh, okay, tomorrow they're going to, they, they're going to try to get some animals to like help them as an, as an alarm system. Okay. okay, yeah. And like, it, it just, it was the most fluid, one of the most fluid rough draft experiences I've ever had. It was no speed bumps. No, uh, never felt like I wrote myself into a corner. Now the rewrites were insane. I rewrote it one time from scratch, started over except for the birth scene, which is a big scene in the book. So the rewrites were bananas, but, and I could talk, we could literally talk for two more hours about rough drafts. I have, I have so many thoughts on those, but that rough draft was a priceless experience for me. It would be like, if you like, you're talking about like your band, you know, just no hiccups. You're all just smooth and you're all like playing with like grace and you're all playing with like, there's like ease and no one's rushing. And, and that's what that rough draft was like the whole, the whole month. That's awesome. Yeah. And I guarantee you, I can keep talking with you for two more hours as well, but <laughs> yeah. you are a very busy man. So I'm going to wrap it up now. Well, this, let me, let me, let me just oh, say yes, yes, yes. Real fast, real fast. yes, please. One, I wanted to point out that I, I did uh, the book that I tried to write a state, the one I made 300 pages in, I didn't finish it. That was a horn album. So that's awesome. I definitely, you know, I was in a, I had a brother word processor you know, this is long for me. This is long before social media. And this is 1997 or eight or something. And like, you know, like a brother word processor, like I still, that book is in a crate right over here, you know, unfinished. So, so state, not only was it the starting of the band and you and I discussed like sort of an identity discovery. Yeah, no, that's what, that's when I started trying to write horror novels was at Michigan state. So, so that's, that was, that was a big thing. The other thing was, wait, you just, you just said, what was the other thing? You just said something that I was like, oh God, I got to pull, I got to say this to him. Mm. The last thing you were saying, I guess, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe I should just let it go. But I wanted to say it so bad. Anyway. <laughs> oh no, this is what yes. it was. You, okay. said you're, you said you're a busy man. Well, guess what? After this, I'm going, there's a party tonight in Ferndale. Oh, hell um, yeah. It's a bring the film incentive back to Michigan party. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I know. So and um, I'm sure you could go too. I just registered online. It was free, you know, whatever. I think you can just go, but it's, um, yeah. So I'm going there just hoping to like, I don't know, meet other people that are, I don't know, work on movies. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Yeah. There's actually a horror film festival and convention happening in Romulus this weekend, oh, which I'm going to be, what? I'm going to be there. It's at the uh, Sheraton airport hotel. What's it called? It's called the Motor City Legacy Film Festival and Horror Convention. I can email, I can send you yeah, the yeah, details. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I'll be there. So if you're there, let me know. Yeah, that's, that's this weekend? Yeah. Yeah, screw it, dude. I'll go. If you, um, I like, I know you're pretty busy, but if you're there at 9.56 a.m. Saturday morning, that's where my short film Ice Cream is premiering. Wait a minute. Wait, you waited until the very, you, that's burying the lead, my man. Wait, you directed the movie? Yeah, well, I, I wrote and directed this short. How many have you done? This is my second one. I'm really excited. Really? And is your first one online or I can see it? 
Yeah, I, um, it, that one is called Best Day Ever. And we shot that in 2020. We completed it in 2021. Did its little festival run. And yeah, I'll send that to you. Oh my God. Because that one's online. I, I, did, I did not realize. I, I almost feel dumb that I didn't realize that because now there's I have a million questions for you, but we can, <laughs> we can talk again. Um, I was about to say, you have an open invitation. I really want you back on the show where we can talk a lot more. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Again, I can tell right and I can tell right away when this um conversation started, I was like, oh, this is not going to fit in 20 minutes. Not us. Two. No, it's not. I, uh, <laughs> I'm i going to be editing a lot just to get it. Cause... Oh, no. The longer, the better. Or you do your thing, of course. But, I, you know, me, whatever. I don't care. Oh, I don't mind talking that. I mean, I got to get you on like a a true long episode because the idea with this one is there's going to be other people. Oh, yes. I forgot. Right. This yeah. is a Michigan state like and horror. Right. With, yeah, 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 yeah. So my plan is to invite my professor, Bill Vincent, because he was there while Sam Raimi was. He's still oh. teaching there, taught me screenwriting. He's the one who taught the Hitchcock class. I'm friends with Betsy Baker, who was in the orig original Evil Dead. She plays Linda. Oh, holy shit. And yeah. um, I'm going to ask her to be a part of it because I just reconnected with her at Horror Hound. So um, it was really nice to catch up with her. I'm going to edit all this name dropping out, by the way. Um, I'm, I'm still recording, but um, oh just so you know, I'm, I'm not trying to like. Wait a minute. Flex on the listeners. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Isn't she the one wearing the Michigan State sweatshirt? Yes. Oh, sweet. yes. <laughs> we all got to do like a Spartan collaboration. I, I would love to. Let's do Let's let's do something. Uh, I write it. She stars in it. You direct it. Holy shit. That's like, why amazing. Not? Why not? Let's make yeah. a, let's make an awesome little short. Like I'm not yeah, even, that would be... like I'm not even talking out of my ass. Why not? I, I, how long how long are your shorts so far? So the first one was about 9 minutes okay. and let's the second one is 6 minutes. All right, let's get a 10 minute script. Let's mm. you I'll write it. Just, just because we we each do something, I guess. I'll write it. Yeah. Direct. She stars. Screw it, man. Yeah, why not? And uh, we'll both we'll both produce it. We can keep it super low key, yeah. uh, super low budget. We can get yeah. We'll just come up with an money. idea, like sort of a it doesn't have to be a one room, but like a contained sort of idea that maybe yeah. Her. No, I think that's a great idea, and I think oh. she'll be down. That sounds so, amazing right now, dude. That sounds amazing. No, this is this <laughs> is great. I'm really excited. I'm not going to put any of that in the episode because I don't want people to, or maybe I should. Oh, I think you should, dude. I think you should. Because that's like... Maybe should, what a, people what are going to get excited. What a, what a strange little moment we just had. You know, like that... that yeah. Put it this way. If we end up doing this, which I'm I'm game, I'll write it for sure. If we end up doing this, how amazing to have it in the in the episode. That, that exactly. we thought of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing. Like, that's the point of the episode, right? Like, Spartans in horror. Yeah. Spartans in horror collaborating. Like... It's amazing. <laughs> Ryan, the one that put us in touch. Mm -hmm. Was it Ryan, right? Yeah. She yeah. Um, she's incredible. I had her on this podcast. She's amazing. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, so I, Allison and I drove all the way to uh, New Hampshire and I did a thing at her store. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it was, it was truly, I was so nervous. I'm always so nervous, you know, like I was nervous for, for this, by the way. Really? And, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get, you know, you know, some sometimes I feel like it's like, um, what's the right phrase? Maybe 
It's like I care about it. You know what? Um, this is funny. This is state related. While I was while I was like preparing for Michigan State, I was auditioning for the College of Music. I didn't get in, but that's not part of the story. Um, but at that time, I thought music was going to be something I was going to do. And I was really nervous about it. And I was telling one of my high school teachers about it because I usually I didn't really get nervous at that time because I was a very cocky high schooler. Um, I played trumpet. So <laughs> I, I knew it all back then. Right. But I was very nervous. And he said something to me that I always kept with me, which is if you're nervous about something, you care about it. Yeah, no, it, it's true. And, and sometimes and again, this is a whole show itself. There's sometimes there's like, what's the right phrase? How about this? I've never, okay, I've never regretted going through with something that I was nervous to do, meaning the getting on the flight, writing the novel, yeah. doing the interview, uh, saying the thing that I was nervous to tell Allison, um, whatever it might be. I've never afterwards been like, oh, I was right to be scared. I shouldn't have done it. No, every single time it's like, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, it really kind of blows your mind when you start, you know, you're like, God, what did I build this up to be? When I was so nervous, you give a speech or something, right? And you're like, give it backstage. You're like, like, yeah, your mind, right? And then you get up there and the second you start talking, you're like, actually, I love this subject. And, I, and I'm so glad I'm doing this. It, it is interesting. And I take it as like, like you said, or your friend said, like, it's because it means something to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I get nervous oh, before every podcast interview. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> and because um, I care about, you know, I get nervous oh, yeah. before um, the day before the shoot. I get nervous writing, not nervous writing, but like sometimes like I'll get like an idea and I'm really hyped about it. And then I'll be writing it and I'll be like, oh, like, I don't know. It's but you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. No, I'm already I'm already thinking about um parts for Betsy. I'm like, I'm <laughs> like imagining her alone in this like cool ass house or something and i don't know i don't know yeah this could be we got to do this yeah i'm gonna, I, uh, dude, I'm gonna send you a 10 page script and we're gonna freaking do it do yes we're gonna do this no this, this is in state like thing we're doing no i love this because there's a lot of talent here and film talent here in michigan we'll get yeah. we could get a good dp we can get some good oh, sound dude, I, I mean i, I got so much talent you probably know so many people I know a handful of people. Let's let's that'll be fun as hell. Yes, I'm totally down. So all right, I I do need to go to this thing though. Yes, so. yes, you do. <laughs> all right. So uh, can you tell everyone where they can find you real quick? <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty much everything's Josh Mallerman, you know, dot com. There's one L in Mallerman. I will say this: the website is way more fun than someone might think. Here's why: there is a novel that I wrote serialized like i wrote it mm -hmm. i guess you could say live i would write a chapter put it up write a chapter put it up about as live as you could do it and it's it's just a full novel it's longer than bird box it's like 70 some thousand words and it's just it's for free on the website there's no reviews there there's no um it's not for sale it's just free there's no number of views no none of those stupid like stats like social media stats it's just sitting there it's called carpenter's farm and just any listener, go read uh, an awesome identity crisis horror novel that's just sitting on joshmallerman.com. And 
Um, also on Twitter, Facebook, everything's just Josh Mallerman. The band is called The High Strung, and we have an album coming out very soon. So The High Strung and Josh Mallerman. And and uh, by the way, thank you for having me. Of course, this was amazing. I'm so excited, and we will be talking very soon, I know. All right, right on. All right, go green. Go white. All right, next up. I have true Spartan and horror royalty, an actress with dozens of credits spanning film, television, and video games. You may know her best as Linda from The Evil Dead, the original that started all this. <laughs> Please welcome my friend and fellow Spartan, Betsy Baker. Go green. Go white. <laughs> How are you, Austin? I'm thrilled right now. Just recently, a couple weeks ago, we reconnected at Horror Hound and that was such a such a blast because we worked together on a film at Michigan State a couple years back. And uh, I got to say, that was probably one of the highlights of my Michigan State career. <laughs> oh, now don't say that. There, I'm sure there were a lot of great things that happened. I got to say, there were a lot of great things. It's okay, truly a magical good, place. Good. <laughs> It is. It is. But that's something I I do hold. It's uh, something I'll never forget because I had such a blast on that set. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. But yes, we we, we saw each other just a few weeks ago at, at a Cincinnati Horror Hound, which, which was so, so great to see you. I appreciate that. And uh, I, I love conventions. You're so much fun. So what we're doing today... We're talking about Spartans in horror. And something I want to ask first was, what about Michigan State attracted you to that school? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it, it was a Big Ten university, and I wanted to go to a big, uh, a large university. I have an older brother and a younger sister, and my brother, pardon me, was attending Michigan State when I was applying to schools. And as it turned out, my younger sister attended um, Michigan State as well. We were all Spartans. I began Michigan State in the music department, and I thought it had a, a, a large, buried music department. And so that's where I started my, quote, college career. And so once I was accepted, I had a, I had um, sent in applications to other schools. Not, I, I must tell you, it's not like the craziness that is now you know, in the 21st century, but way back last century, you only, you know, you sent applications to a few schools, or I did anyway, and I ended up liking the campus, I ended up liking the atmosphere, and I ended up liking the music department from what I saw, but interestingly enough, after a few months of being in college, a music professor called me into his office and said, hey, um, they are actually looking for some singers who can act to audition for this upcoming musical they're doing. And I think you should go over there. And I've recommended that you, I, I referred you to someone to see. And I was flattered. I was nervous. I, I said, no, 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 I've done enough theater and such in high school. I just want to focus on, on music. But I went and I actually got the part. And within a month I transferred, or I declared my major actually as a theater major and left the music department as my as my major. I got a you know uh, a minor or a double major, but all my classes basically from then on in, starting in my the end of my freshman year and from then on were in theater. That's awesome. I uh, 
I don't want to say it's similar, but I kind of have a similar story where I kind of started at the College of Music, mm. but I ended up I ended up going into the College of Arts and Letters and getting my degree in film studies. Mm. But when I first started at Michigan State, I really, really loved music. And I still do love music, but I just didn't have I didn't have that. I don't want to say talent because that sounds really uh, self-deprecating and that's not what it was. But I didn't have that drive that all the other music kids did. I had to learn the hard way that that wasn't what I was going to be doing. For me, music was just a hobby. It wasn't a passion. And um, I just happened to take an elective course, like intro to film. And while I took that course, I realized oh, this, this is my passion. This is where I have real drive. But I I did end up playing music throughout my MSU career. I was in the Spartan marching band. I did the basketball band. So um, I never let music go, but I realized very quickly, that's just like, that's like one of my side loves. Film is my true passion. That's that's an interesting story. Yeah, I I... I had a very hard time. The enjoyment of music that I had and, and voice and vocal music was overshadowed soon upon taking classes uh, with the analytics of music and music theory. And it was just something that I could never, I never quite actually enjoyed, probably only because I just didn't, wasn't able to comprehend it and then didn't comprehend it as a, as a child or a teen in, in my hometown. It was just something that I was able to kind of oversee and you know I didn't have to know the D major went into you know F minor and F minor yeah. then you know went into whatever it's not even I'm not even using the right terminology and so <laughs> I I'm very grateful to the professor who told me and and called me in and said I want you to go over and audition for the theater department's musical and let me know what happens so I'm very grateful to him I, I'm very grateful for my experiences as well because I feel like had things gone a bit differently, I would have lost my love for music. Mm-hmm. Whereas I was able to take a step back and I still love music. Like I still play, you know. What instrument uh, did you play in the uh, marching band? Trumpet. Nice. Yeah, I. Uh, this is a podcast, so no one can see except for you. But I still have it. <laughs> He's not lying. He's telling the truth. He's holding it up right now. Good for you. Good for you. So, no, I, I love my time at MSU. And it, I think it truly is one of those. I mean, I feel like everyone says that about their school. But I think MSU truly is like a magical place where I was able to find out who I was, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's um, nice to hear. Nice to hear because I, I I would tend to differ with you just in the fact that not everybody does love their college career. Sometimes right. Them, sometimes the particular college that they just really thought they wanted or a university that they really, really, really had their heart set and thought they would just absolutely love wasn't for them. And for so many, you know, it's still a struggle to quote, declare a major or this is where my path is. And then to find out two or three years in that you may be tripping on the path that you thought you should be on and that all you need to do is just get off the path 
and you know walk through the grass or the woods a little and find a different path and so the the, the benefit of something like michigan state university is being a very very large university which it is and yeah. it can be overwhelming to some but it allows you that opportunity to you know, literally stand in the woods of the grass and figure out which path you do want to take. And I bet there would be some offerings on this campus if I wanted to explore that. And that's the really nice thing. Oh, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Because I, I fe- I'm sure there are people who went to Michigan State, but it wasn't a right fit, you know? Yeah. yeah. But for me personally, I got super lucky. I, get, I had my right fit at Michigan State because... I applied to that other school in Ann Arbor Mm. and it's a long story, but essentially I was like going, I had enough like grades and whatnot to get in, but I was a very cocky, arrogant high schooler and something pissed me off while (laughs) during my application process. So I just pulled out. So I didn't have another big school. So I'm very lucky that I happened to fall in love with Michigan State, that it happened to be the right fit for me. So I have no regrets at all. That's just that's really great. This is primarily a horror movie podcast. So I know I have a lot of listeners getting antsy, wanting me to ask about the evil dead. So how did how did Michigan State, you being at Michigan State kind of lead you towards uh, being one of the ladies of the evil dead? Well, to be truthfully honest with you, I, I'm not quite certain that Michigan State did indeed have a hand in uh-huh. uh, allowing me to be a part of Evil Dead, with the exception of the fact that both Sam Raby and Rob Tappert attended Michigan State. And upon meeting them prior to my even auditioning for them, um, we talked about Michigan State and they commented, well, we went to Michigan State too. And so there was that camaraderie there. I will tell you that there was that camaraderie there. I I met them in an afternoon in the fall in um, the Metro Detroit area where I had just recently moved and they were living there and along with Bruce Campbell. And they had asked if I wanted to, if I would be interested in reading a couple of scenes for them and with them uh, because they were going to do a, uh, I think they called it a thriller. I don't know if they called it a a horror movie. They may may have called it a horror movie or a psychological drama. I'm not even quite sure. (laughs) They have the vocabulary to do that, but I agreed to do that. And so we ended up uh, on some Saturday morning, a few days later in Sam Raimi's parents' basement, because at the time that's where Sam was living. He was living with his mom and dad They had space in the basement, as all Midwestern houses do. And so I went over and read a couple of scenes, and they offered me the part of Linda there. And one of the scenes that's, you know, or the majority of the movie until Linda, until the character Linda becomes possessed, is that would it be okay? Would I mind if, you know, we pay homage to Michigan State and I wear a Michigan State sweatshirt? And I thought it was a great idea. I'm not certain, but I don't think it ever, ever says in the script or in the real movie that we were all college students coming from Michigan State. It was only my sweatshirt that made a reference to. We were five college students, four college students and a sister um, that had gone away, that were going away, just getting away from the pressure of it all for the weekend. But I don't believe, you might know the real answer. I don't believe Austin, they ever mentioned Michigan State in the actual screenplay or the script. It was only the reference um, with the sweatshirt. That's that's awesome to hear because I... uh... I did not know that. I always just kind of assume because I 
know the sweater, but I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you're absolutely right. I don't think they mentioned Michigan State at all. <laughs> I'm not even sure that they um, actually really mentioned themselves, quote, as college students. May they may We may have said it's nice to get away from everything. Yeah. He was only in the uh, the brief description of the plot of the movie when it was marketed that they were four college students and a sister uh, getting away for, for the weekend, which college students often like to do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. <laughs> Here I say, yes, we do. Like I didn't graduate uh, a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I love that because I think because you wear that sweater in my brain, I always just assume because I knew you. I know you from Michigan State. So I always just assumed, oh, maybe there was like a, it's just a chance <laughs> that they went to state and you went to state. <laughs> I love yeah, that. No, we did at different times. I'm actually a couple of years older than um, Sam. And so they were roommates, Bruce and, oh, no, I'm sorry, Sam. And, and I think that I had, was in my senior year or just finishing when they started to attend school. Okay. That's really, that's really interesting because by coincidence when brett was in his senior year i was entering my freshman year mm, yes so i love that little coincidence sure. and speaking of brett which listeners brett has been on the show a couple times we've talked about norman bates and michael myers brett will be on this uh, Spartan episode as well. It's because of Brett and Bill, Professor Bill Vincent, that we know each other. That's true. What was it like coming back to that area to film a short horror film, The Seer? Actually, I don't know if you come back to Michigan State too often or not. So, do you I don't make come back it? To Michigan State. I don't have family in the Lansing area yeah. except for my nephew. I do come back to Michigan all the time. Gotcha. Um, I have, I moved from Michigan, uh, oh gosh, more than 40 years ago, but I have come back every year. And there have been some times when I've been able to go either through or stop and visit in the East Lansing area. But when I came back into the Seer, it was one of the first times that I'd been back in a while. Prior to that, I was contacted by the theater department. I believe it was in 2010. And um, they were, they were going to... Uh, uh, they were going to present Evil Dead the Musical for one of their fall <laughs> productions. And they were lovely. They asked me to not only be a special guest for the weekend and sit in the splatter zone. By the way, it was a fabulous production of Evil Dead the Musical. And if you have never seen Evil Dead the Musical, by all means, you should, after this podcast is over, go find somewhere where you live and, and go see Evil Dead the Musical. But I was able to be on the homecoming float um, sponsored by the theater department. And I have to tell you this, there's not a lot of women in their 50s who are on, on homecoming floats. So that was a real <laughs> honor. That was truly a real honor and I, I met friends there and have remained friends with with some of them and some of the who were then students who have now gone on you know with careers and it's interesting because Bill Vincent was a professor um, of Sam Raimi's and his brother Ivan Raimi and he was a consultant and, and, a, and a mentor of theirs during the filming of Evil Dead and came down to the Morristown Tennessee area even to see what his little fledglings were doing. And they proceeded to do okay, I think. I, I think they <laughs> succeeded. But anyway, Bill and I then rekindled the friendship after all these years. And we keep in touch all the time. And Bill asked me and, and invited me back to um, work on this film. And that's 
that's how I met you. And that's how I met Brett Miller. And I, I love like, whether through it being horror or through Michigan State or just through pure happy coincidence, however you want to look at it. But these little connections, they last, you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. It's a lovely little village. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so our time is wrapping up. I want to be uh, super res- uh, respectful of it. But I do have to ask, what does it mean to you to be a Spartan? Wow. You know, I think the meaning of what it means to be a Spartan has really grown, especially in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, the world and the nation has changed so much. And there are many, 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 many students that once they graduate college, they're done with college. They they just, they, they've had enough. They want to go out and just take the world in their hands. And I was one of those people. I, you know, and I moved very far away. And I moved very far away before there were computers, before there were cell phones. And so it was much harder for either um, alumni, alumni and universities to be in touch with each other. And once we actually then, Michigan State and the Alumni Association um, became a part of my life, I realized as I got older as well, and my own children were growing, I realized the importance of the university, the importance of being an alumni of a great university like this and the importance of supporting it, you know, along with the importance of just, you know, the memories that you've mentioned, Austin, the friends that you've made, the experiences you had and what you were able to take from those experiences. They weren't all just classroom experiences. They were real life friendships, um, happenings, you know, whatever on or off campus. And so I am very grateful to have been a Michigan State Spartan. My my family, my extended family, my brother, my sister, their children, they all went to Michigan State. And um, it's just a nice, it's it's a nice, it's a nice feeling. And I'm very, very proud to be a Spartan. I, Spartan I couldn't strong. have. Spartan strong. <laughs> Spartan strong. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. And I... I love how you put it. Me personally, I am a first generation college student. Congratulations. Thank you. I I really appreciate that. And I mean, God willing, when I have my own family, maybe they'll be Spartans. Maybe they'll do their own thing, find their own Michigan State at some other school. But for now, like my mom is the biggest Spartan fan there is, you know, my grandma loves my grandparents love MSU. So it, it really is kind of like a family thing. So I love it. <laughs> That's great. That's really great. So thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And go green. Go white. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, we have the man, the myth, the legend. He was not only my favorite professor at Michigan State, but also um. my rent. also my mentor and a true friend please welcome to the podcast bill vincent hello to you austin and to everybody out there pleasure to be here i am thrilled to finally have you on the podcast my time at michigan state you were a big part of it and a big part of my journey with the horror genre so something i've never asked you because i didn't think about it until today um, have you always been a fan of the horror genre? Um, no, the joke is that I'm not, not really much of a fan of the horror at all, <laughs> uh, except I like to write it because it's fun, and I like to act in it because that's fun too. But I don't go to many horror films. 
especially as I get older, I find I'm just more sensitive to to all of that, and I it, it just it seems more painful than than actually pleasurable. That is incredible. <laughs> I know. I, I was when I was a kid, of course. When I was your age, I I loved horror, but it's just gotten harder and harder since I've gotten older. I, I once gotcha. taught I once taught a course in horror films. No, t- probably twice or three times. And um, there were films I I didn't want to watch, like mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I didn't want to watch that, but I felt I had to show it because you know it's sort of key horror film. But that, that started me on my downward path. Gotcha. I find that so funny because I did not take your horror class, but when we did the study abroad trip, you had us make horror films. Yes. Well, <laughs> <laughs> there you are. <laughs> and uh, and I'm sure you've watched plenty of how to say it nicely, not as great student horror films over the years. <laughs> I have, I have, and I, you know, I, as you remember, I teach screenwriting, and I just, for a while, I thought, I don't ever want to read another zombie script, please, ever. <laughs> and my favorite one was the zombie musical, which ended up with a huge um, scene of the of the townspeople marching one way and the zombies marching another, and they're both singing, and it's like, wow, a really good idea, but never got made. Too bad. Maybe one day. Maybe we'll one see. Day. But a zombie but musical. If, if, any, if, awesome. if any of you out there wants to write a zombie musical, the world is waiting. I agree. <laughs> How did you end up at Michigan State? Uh, they offered me a job. I had just finished at Yale, and I was I taught a course at Central Connecticut College or some such small school. One course while I was still at Yale, and then started applying for jobs, not terribly seriously, because I didn't really want too much, but Michigan State contacted me, and I went for a visit, and the sidewalks were covered with ice, and I slipped and fell, and almost took the chairperson of the department down with me, and it was, yeah, but that was a horror in itself, and then <laughs> I went back, and they said, well, we're, they sent us me a message saying, we're sorry, we hired somebody else. I said, okay, that's fine, and then another three weeks later, they wrote again and said, we have another opening, so please come. And I thought I'd come to Michigan State for a couple of years and then move on. But somehow, after 58 years, I'm still here. I I am of the opinion that when you find a place that kind of just connects with you, you don't ever want to leave it. Yeah. Is that maybe something along those so. lines? I mean, if I had been offered a, a big job in Hollywood, I'd have gone. Or if somebody in London wanted to hire me, I'd have gone. But yeah, no, I, this is a, a very comfortable place, and I, I love Michigan State, and I like the students a lot. And, you know, that's that's the great pleasure for me in, in teaching is is contact with the students and helping them to grow. And you were one of the best, so uh, but don't, <laughs> let that, don't let that go to your head, Austin. I'm doing everything I can to suppress that. <laughs> yes, I will remember this moment for the rest of my... Everyone will. This is going to be public. <laughs> well, uh, well, I take it all back then. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wonderful. <laughs> I uh, While I was at Michigan State, your classes were some of my favorites for sure. And something I want to talk about a little bit. This isn't quite horror, but horror is involved. You taught my favorite course, which was your Hitchcock seminar. Yes, thank you. 
I'm just teaching it again this fall. If there are any Michigan State students are out there listening, I think it's my best course. Unfortunately, you know, students don't, most students nowadays don't know who Hitchcock was even. Oh, really? I find it odd that uh, this is off the subject, but I find it odd that film students nowadays don't watch films. They don't watch old films. I mean, they go to every Marvel comic film there is, but they just don't watch old films. And so they have very little knowledge of uh, of the history of film or any of the great films that were made in the past in black and white, no less. <laughs> That's really important that you say that because I, well, I was very lucky. My mom and my grandparents showed me a lot of black and white, mostly like the Universal Monsters and King Kong sure, and Godzilla. Sure. But because of that, I love, you know, a bunch of older movies where where I find my blind spot to be is with um, foreign cinema. That's where I need to branch out a lot more, especially um, Asian cinema. I need to do yeah. a lot more with that. Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. But you've got a lot of time. Got a I, ahead of you. And uh, but I think it's interesting because like maybe a lot. How do I want to say it? But I guess most kids growing up now their parents aren't showing them yeah. old, like these older movies so they just want to know what they what's coming out now but yes. like the people making movies now were influenced by the people making movies in the 80s who were influenced by Hitchcock and yeah you know uh Kurosawa who I know I just said I don't really watch a lot of Asian cinema but I just named probably the most famous <laughs> yeah, indeed it is. It is. <laughs> well, you know the the thing is that if you if you look at interviews with with the great directors who are working now, and you ask them who their favorite directors are, Hitchcock almost always appears on the list. Yeah. So so good directors know the know the past, and they know who the, the best ones were in the past. So and, yeah. And if you're listening and you're going to film school, maybe not at Michigan State, but wherever you're going to film school, I think anyway. it's super important you go to the past so you know, so you're not just copying off of the person who's copying off of, you can form your own style based off of the greats, like John Ford and exactly. such. Yeah, without doubt, with uh, Billy Wilder. Yeah. Yes. Watch Sunset Boulevard like 30 times. <laughs> yeah. I have a box set of the Universal Classic Monsters, and I like to go back to them. Yes. Um, well, I was raised on those. I was raised on those, you know. I I, mm -hmm. I went through Frankenstein and Dracula and all the, all the permutations and uh, Wolfman and Invisible Man and all that stuff. Uh, my favorite, well, not my very favorite, but one of my favorite films when I was a kid was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yes. Um, and and that always, when in my own writing of horror, I always include comedy because I think the combination of comedy and horror is really great. And in watching, I think I, when I was 10, maybe, and uh, it, um, it, you were screaming with laughter at one moment and then screaming in horror in the next, and I thought that was yeah. really great. <laughs> And I also, another childhood experience, which was amazing, was watching The Mummy. The good thing about those days is they kept bringing these films back, you know, because mm -hmm. The Mummy was was actually before I was born, but they still, uh, the theater, the local theaters would, would show programs of old films, which they don't do anymore. And they'd also do double features. Anyway, we had a, uh, I had a birthday party and uh, the kids all came over to my house and had cake and ice cream. And then 
my mother said she's going to take them all to the movies. And they had a choice between going to see uh, Song of the South, the Disney movie, at the Capitol Theater in Kalamazoo, or The Mummy at the State Theater in Kalamazoo. Well, all of the girls and one boy chose to go to Song of the South, but the rest of us brave boys went to see The Mummy. My friend to my left ate his handkerchief, and my friend, <laughs> my friend to the right crouched behind the seat in front of him and kept looking up and saying, what's happening? So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And I never sort of understood it afterwards thinking, well, you know, the mummy moved so slowly, or did in those days. Now they've changed. Of course, everything's fast. But he moved so slowly, you could have, you could have easily gotten away from him. But people would just freeze with terror until he grabbed them by the neck and strangled them. Same thing with zombies. Back in those days, zombies moved very slowly and ate your soul. Now they move really fast and eat your body. So, and I think there's something really significant about that, socially speaking. Uh, zombies are really, really interesting because I feel like good filmmakers, so this doesn't apply to all zombie movies, but it applies to the great zombie movies. Filmmakers are able to take the zombie and transform their characteristics to best, how, how do you say, I guess, personify their fears of society at that moment in time. Yes. Like, yeah, I agree. And I think that all started with Night of the Living Dead. He was, yes. he was the first one to see that you could actually use the zombie uh, as a social commentary. And, you know, zombie, zombie monster films were always considered the lowest of the low. I mean, they were the cheapest uh, they weren't put mm -hmm. out by big studios. They were, you know, you were De Dracula and Frankenstein and Wolfman, those were all the top tier, but the zombies were quite quite a way down the ladder when they went in the first time they came around. And then they took over the world and they're coming for you right now. Oh, there's one behind you, Austin. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and for a while they were they were the biggest thing, not just in horror, but like the biggest thing. Like The Walking Dead was by far the biggest show, yeah, the most yeah. popular show. Everyone Absolutely. wanted to do zombies. <laughs> yeah. Indeed, indeed. Um, but not incredible. <laughs> but it's incredible to see kind of like the evolution of pop culture through the lens of one monster. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I often thought that that too little is too little attention is paid to what the social meaning of films are. I I puzzle yeah. about why are the superhero movies so popular right now? What do they tell us about the about ourselves uh, that we that we need those? I have an answer for you, so but it's just <laughs> it's just sort of a puzzling sociological problem. And the same thing is true, yeah, of zombies and horror films. I mean, the last year seems like five out of every six film is a horror film. And yeah, they've turned, they've turned Christmas into horror, and you know, oh everything. yeah, and Mama into horror. <laughs> there's nothing nothing sacred anymore everything is potentially a source of horror i would argue that the 70s really changed everything because uh that's when black christmas came out so that was like the first christmas well, yeah. horror movie i can yeah. think of i think you could argue psycho ruined mom moms for everyone <laughs> so, well psycho certainly was a uh, a game changer i mean i it i think you see you can see uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre in, in inherent yeah. in Psycho and what Psycho did. It's hard now, I think, to watch it and think what an impact it had, how powerful it was. And one of the things it did was change people's movie habits, movie going habits. Because when I was young, you could go to the movie theater anytime 
you go in, you'd be in the middle of the movie, maybe you'd watch it till the end. Then you'd sit through and watch it again. And uh, you didn't have to leave the theater when it was over and so forth. And then Hitchcock came along with, with Psycho and he insisted that theaters did not let anyone in until, or not, not let anyone in after this, after it started. So that started the trend towards what we have today, which is that you have to, you, you have to leave the, you watch the movie and then you leave. You can't, unless of course nowadays you sneak into some other movie, but I, <laughs> I wouldn't do that myself, but I know other people do. And uh, well, yeah, why not? If you're a movie lover, sure. And even then, it's harder to sneak into movies now because they have all the assigned seatings. Yes, they do. But on the other hand, they have nobody in the eye in the uh, in the corridors. True. Uh, because they can't. <laughs> because they can't. They can't get help. So uh, you know, I go to my local multiplex, and I could walk into any theater because there's just nobody there. That's true. Talking about the evolution of horror or not horror, but pop culture through the horror lens and seeing how horror is so popular now. I think as Spartans, we should talk a little bit about the Evil Dead franchise, which yeah. just had a brand new installment. A, a brand new installment, yeah, which I have not um, seen. I liked it. It's well, brutal, yeah. and yeah. it's brutal, and it's a lot, but it was it was Evil Dead for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Yes, I, you know, I was in the, the, I think the most, the second most recent iteration. Evil Dead was it called, or the Evil Dead, I forget, the one that was made in New Zealand, and that they flew me out there for a, for a cameo appearance, and I ended up uh, on screen for maybe two seconds with like <laughs> half my face showing. That was it, but. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a great pleasure, uh, particularly to talk to Rob Tappert, who gets too little credit. I mean, Sam gets all the credit, but uh, Rob Tappert is is an amazing power behind the the scene. You know, he's the producer of. He's been he and Sam have been partners since since you know, since Michigan State, and uh, and he's he's astonishing. He's uh, he's such an articulate, uh, thoughtful person. Uh, so he and I had long, good conversations. I also had nice conversations with Betty Alvarez, who was the director of, of the uh, film, partly because I could speak Spanish, so we could we could speak in Spanish. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, it was awesome. It was an awesome, awesome event. I got to have dinner with Rob Tappert and Lucy Lawless at their mansion. It was great. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> and as we were going to, uh, this is, again, out of out of our topic, but uh, no worries. I like I like the story anyway. That uh, as we were, as as Rob was driving me there, he said, "You know, we were going to move. We were going to find another place because with the two kids, they want a tennis court, they want a swimming pool, and we really didn't have room for that. So we were going to look for another place." And then I thought, "No, I'll just buy out the neighbors and tear down their houses." <laughs> <laughs> as you do <laughs> that's oh wow that's incredible exactly <laughs> oh my goodness am I, allowed to, am I allowed to swear on this uh podcast hell yeah okay sam uh, i mean rob once said to me i thought this was very good he said you know, this is when he was still in hollywood he said to me you know somewhere in this town in a building i've never entered on the 670th floor there's a guy i've never met whose only job in life is to fuck me up <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> That's the film industry <laughs> nutshell. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. that's awesome. And I gotta say, like a little funny thing, real quick. I never think about telling people if they can swear or not on my show. I never think about that, but the question comes up a lot, so I should 
you know, before we start recording, let people know, by the way, you can swear, say whatever. But in my mind, I always think to myself, this is a horror movie podcast. So we're talking about dismemberments and beheadings. Yeah, that's right, right. We're talking about all the gore. If there's like a fuck or a shit here, like, <laughs> I yeah. think we're talking about much worse, generally. That's, right. that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> but yeah, it's so funny how how we can be riot sometimes. And I think you see in like movie ratings and what you see on TV, but like violent, like violence is okay if there's no blood. Yes. And I'm like, okay, blood okay. is where you draw the line. Or yeah. like, and you see in a bunch of superhero movies and cop stuff, like war movies, uh, horror movies that want to make a bit more money, like and appeal to the teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's, the violent acts are still being committed. Exactly. Not seeing any blood doesn't make it. Yeah. Uh, and, and God forbid pattern. there should be there should be sex. But oh you know. oh how like I can watch a person get mutilated, but if I see a titty, the world like <laughs> explodes. <laughs> <laughs> and no, we are we are of the same opinion. I I I don't get it. I guess it's the people in power where their tastes are. If you were to go by practice, you would say the most horrifying thing in a movie would be a penis because you never, never see, see them. them. You never see them. Right. Of all the horror movies I've seen, I've seen like a bunch of disgusting, depraved, uh, yeah. like mutilations and kills and whatever. I rarely see dicks. <laughs> Barely. Exactly. Very rarely. And it's like I take a shower, I see one every day. Like what <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, I see you look at yourself, do you? Well, how interesting. <laughs> what, else, what else am I gonna look at? <laughs> you're right, you're right, you're right. But um, but it, I just think it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think there's a lot of interesting things to think about with that to kind of bring us back to topic. Yeah. Um Evil Dead and Michigan State has a lot of history together, which I know you know because you were there. <laughs> yeah, I was there. Do you, do you have any fond memories in addition to the visiting for the... The New Zealand one, yeah. The New Zealand well, one, yeah. That's a great know, one, by the way. I love that movie. Yes, I worked on two of them. Uh, I worked on the first Evil Dead, Um Sam's brother Ivan came to my office. I think he like just at just at the end of the semester in December and said, "Hey, Sam's making a movie down in Tennessee. You want to go?" And I said, "Well, yeah, I do." So down we went, and um, we arrived very early in the morning. And there was Sam crouched on the hill, pulling at his forelock and staring intently at the cabin, trying to decide what to do next. And so I got to, I was there for a week and a half and then went home for Christmas and then went back again afterwards. I told Virginia, my wife, that I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to leave you, but I really think I should be down there and uh, got to watch Sam in action. And it was very clear to me, he was 19 at the time, that he was a genius, that he knew what he was doing. He could, it, not only that he had a vision, which, which came out of comic books, and I think he was the real pioneer of the, the sort of comic book look in horror films 
you know, the angles and all that sort of thing, yeah. but also that he could get people to do things that they didn't think they could do, which I think is one thing a great director has to be able to do. I can remember often the, the cinematographer would say, I can't do that, Sam, it's just not possible. And Sam would just put his arm around his shoulder to go for a walk, and then he'd come back and he'd do it. And uh, my favorite story is a Betsy Baker story. And, and I know you've interviewed Betsy, who is yes. one of my favorite, favorite people in the world. Um, <laughs> she was, there was a scene where she had turned into the, the monster he, and Ash throws her off and she slams into the wall and falls to the floor. And and she did it. The, the, they had padded the wall, but it was still hard. And she was she was doing it, but not very convincingly. And Sam kept goading her. Finally, she lost her temper and she just threw herself at the wall and hit it and fell to the floor, apparently knocked out, we thought. And everybody's going, oh, my God, Betsy's bought it. But oh. then she she looked up and smiled at Sam and said, how was that, Sam? And Sam <laughs> said, good, Betsy, but do it again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I know. <laughs> Great. Wow. So That's that awesome. was really exciting, and I, I, you know, I, I somehow, I, IMDb has decided that I'm in the movie, which I'm not. Uh, it's because I'm in the <laughs> credits as a fake shemp. Oh, and, and fake shemping again. This is maybe off topic a little, but not. You know, we're talking about Sam. Um, I know where you're going. I think this is really important for everyone yeah, to hear. Sam, so. uh, Sam was a great fan as a kid of the Three Stooges, and I think when he was 13, he was watching the Three Stooges. And he suddenly realized that the guy playing Shemp wasn't the real Shemp. He was standing in the background, and he did a little research and found out that Shemp had died. But what they'd done is simply put somebody else in the Shemp costume and given them given him Shemp gestures, and you just accepted that that was Shemp. And Sam said that that was when he realized that the whole art of filmmaking is the art of fake Shemping, making the audience see what isn't there. Yeah. Um, he also did a... a showed me an experiment one day where he had two people sitting in a car, driver's seat, passenger seat, having a conversation while the car is moving. You could see the trees going by in the background. And the and the shot was one of his typical uh, comic book shots, low angle from outside the car. And he said, how did I do that? And I said, well, uh, you obviously couldn't afford back projection, so you must have found some way to, to build a platform for the camera to be on. He said, no, no, no. I said, what? He said, the car wasn't moving. I said, wait a minute. And he said, I said, there were trees going by. He said, no, there weren't. There was some guy kneeling on the other side of a car holding two branches. And every once in a while, he'd just swish them past the camera. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that is fake shimping. Uh, you know, because you were so concentrated on the, on the conversation, you weren't actually watching the trees. You were just sort of taking them in as trees. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. That's incredible. And I, I think it shines through in in his films, which I, I know everyone listening to this podcast has seen The Evil Dad yeah. and and the Spider-Man movies. I guess I should mention those. Yeah, it's kind of yeah, a big yeah. deal. And Doctor <laughs> Strange. Don't forget Doctor Strange. Uh, <laughs> I, I like the new one. I also was in uh, Army of Darkness as a, yes. I was in it as an extra and uh am sort of prominent in in some scenes i don't know if i ever told you this story but i watched army of darkness with one of my buddies this was after 20 that our 2014 film in britain trip 
Right. We were very well acquainted by then, but I had no clue you were in Army of Darkness. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> and I I don't know if I realized how close you were to the Evil Dead franchise at this point, but I did know who you were. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But we were watching Army of Darkness and I'm watching and we're, we're college kids. So we are uh, how you say wasted um <laughs> and yes. i nearly spilt my drink because i saw your face i'm like wait and i made my friend pause it i'm like <laughs> i know him and I, yeah. I was like oh my god that's bill <laughs> yeah that was, it was i uh, actually i they asked me i was only there for a week and i uh they asked me if i wanted to stay for the whole film and i said well if you pay me because I have a summer school gig and I, you know, I need the money and they couldn't pay me. So I said, I mean, they could pay me the standard extra $40 a day, but that was not going to. And so the next time I saw Sam after they finished it was, he said to me, Bill, where did you go? I had to hire a Bill Vincent lookalike to take your place. And I thought you could have had real Bill Vincent. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> I, another, another story, which, filmmakers might enjoy is there's a, a, a tracking shot a really nice tracking shot where it's a backward tracking shot and various characters step into the picture and i'm one of the characters who steps into the picture we had to step over the tracks in order to get in and then the final and then that's edited with a, another tracking shot forward toward ash and i'm standing behind ash and sam said bill how could you be in two places at once and i said well you know, you shot one one day and the other the other day. You never told me that the two shots were going to be together. So <laughs> it's one of those little little glitches that probably people don't notice, but it's it is sort of like obvious. And of course, there's nothing they could do after it was done. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's Evil Dead. There's demons, and Army of Darkness has a lot of fun fantasy stuff in it. Right. So I'm sure there's some there's someone out there coming up with some in lore reason why you're teleporting yes, right. yes. well i am a, i do play a wise man so i See? guess I, mean, yeah, I have powers you know i love it um not, it's not ash i'm standing behind i'm sorry it's arthur uh, it's, it's, it's oh yeah 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 okay uh, i i had forgotten that bit <laughs> so everyone listening you gotta you gotta look past arthur not ash and then right. you'll see the great yeah, I'm Bill. Always at Arthur, I'm at Arthur's shoulder. In the, in <laughs> I the, love in it. the scene in the courtyard near the beginning of the film. That's awesome. I don't think I ever noticed that you were in both. So now I now I got now. Yeah, oh no, no I'm going to rewatch a great movie. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> oh, horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you got a bunch more Evil Dead stories, but I want to pivot for okay, a little bit. We'll move on. You have been at Michigan State since then, obviously, while I was going there, and you are still there. I'm still there. Um, I know you said you're not a fan of the horror genre anymore, which I think is hilarious, but do you have other fond memories? Because I know you've seen a bunch of horror films be created, whether through the screenwriting phase or through student films, or being in them yourself, or writing them yourself. Yes, another one of your future guest brett miller has put me in a couple of his horror films which is very nice of him and we made a film a horror film together i wrote a script called the seer and he directed yeah. it and uh, you were in it and so was uh betsy so was betsy <laughs> yes like old home week yeah 
all, uh, all your one place. And it's a good film, you know, the more I, I really like it. I think it's really good, but I can't, I, I watched it, I think once or twice and I was just distracted by myself. Yes. I'm, I'm I, sorry. I'm sorry that Brett eliminated the last line of the film, which would have been yours when he said, okay, now it's time to go get the car. And your line is, oh, goody. <laughs> I do not oh, mind. I like I, to joke. <laughs> I do because I'm a screenwriter and I really, you know, I, I understand yeah. the director have the right to change anything in it, but it, I really, it really kills me sometimes. I like to joke that that was my first and my last acting gig. And now I respect acting so much. <laughs> I don't think I'll do it again. I haven't had any phone calls after that. So <laughs> <laughs> Neither have uh, I. <laughs> I think God willing, one day I'll muster up the courage and I'll because I make my own movies. So I'll put myself in front of the camera one day. Good idea. Uh, How about me? Are you going to put me in one of your movies? I have to figure out um, how you can use an old guy like me well my th <laughs> i didn't want to no i don't want to say that's not where i was going i just it's one of those things where you are my dear friend but also you are my mentor so i hold you in such a high esteem <laughs> oh dear with, god <laughs> which is why it took so long to put, have you on the podcast because oh, uh, <laughs> uh you were when i was first developing this podcast you were um in my top 10 and I have done way more than 10, but I keep I going like, is. well, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with podcasting yet. So I'm going to wait until I'm a bit better until finally I was just like, okay, if I keep saying this, I'm never going to be good enough in my mind. I just have to do it. You're doing just fine. And, and, uh, <laughs> and it's time to stop thinking me of, of me as your mentor instead of just thinking me as a friend. Why well, uh, I'm working on, when we're not recording after we're done recording, I, I'll let you know on what I'm thinking of, because I am going to ask you to do something. So, okay, great. But it's not for the public ears. <laughs> I see. I see. Well, well, okay. But yeah, I I loved our time working together, especially, yeah. and we mentioned, we mentioned this a little bit, but there is this great program at Michigan State called the Film in Britain program which I was very fortunate enough to not just do once, but do twice. And you were the TA on the second one and a very good one as well. Yeah, it's a I, uh, I started it, it back in 1986 and it's still going today. So it's, it's pretty wonderful chance to make movies in London and to meet a lot of London, uh, English filmmakers and so forth. And I still talk to people that I went on these trips with. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. It be because it becomes sort of like family. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's a life changing a life changing trip. And I really think it and I was blessed. I had so many great experiences at Michigan State. Yeah, and the band and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. I was able to travel to so many places. Um, but I do think that these film in Britain programs really helped shape me into who I am today. And as I grow as a filmmaker and a podcaster, I know that those experiences will help. They'll be with me forever. Sure. Of course. So if you're listening to this and you go to Michigan state, you got to look into the film in Britain program. It's so even, awesome. Even if you don't go to Michigan state, you can still go on the program. See everyone listening, look into it. <laughs> I've had uh, over the years, had many students from other universities who've gone on the program. So 
That's incredible. So if you're going to going to school, definitely look into this because, like I said, it was a life changing experience that uh, I have the great pleasure of having with me forever. Yeah, just go to the MSU Education Abroad website and you can see it. Yes, I got to ask a quick, a uh, somewhat related question. Sure. Why, why do you make everyone make a horror film at the end? As the uh, final I, project. I think that was only one year. Oh! <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've done all sorts of other things, like make a, you know, make a documentary about London or mm -hmm. whatever. But it, it just seemed like your group was, was perfect to make horror films. I don't know why. <laughs> Fair enough. Here I am all these years later thinking, yeah. <laughs> thinking, thinking every that. group had to do that. No. No, just yours. We were a fun group, though. <laughs> you were a fun group. With some exceptions, there were some not so much fun people. But uh, but yeah. we, no one needs to know about that. <laughs> I know. I know. But I, I had a great time. And, uh, and we made some fun horror movies. <laughs> yes, you did. It was, it was really fun. I mean, it was altogether fun. I mean, your group was a yeah. really good group and fun to be with. We're going to wrap this up a little bit but i think it'll be fitting to ask what does it mean to you to be a spartan well it's hard to say it's um you know i went to to michigan state in 1965 thinking i'd stay just a couple of years and then move on and somehow i never moved on and it's well it's it's my home essentially i mean it's my family I mean, there are lots of things about Michigan State which I think should be changed some, but sure. um, but on the other hand, I enjoy the company of my colleagues. I love the students. I really find them fun and interesting, and they keep me up to date on the latest pop music, for example, and they I make them give me recommendations, and then I dutifully go and listen to them and then forget about them altogether. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> But, but at least, unlike most of my people my age, at least I have some familiarity with uh, with who Taylor Swift is, for example, or whatever. But, <laughs> uh, not to mention badly John Boy and oh, all sorts of really strange ones. Pop was the one for this year, which really I never had never heard of before or since. But <laughs> I I think that's great. Thank you so much for doing this well, with me. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure oh, just yeah. to see you and talk to you, as always. But uh, but also, this has been a lot of fun. And I hope uh, the people out there enjoyed it. Oh, I'm I'm sure they... I know I did, so... <laughs> Good. Great. And I'll see you soon, I hope. Yes, very soon. We'll make it happen. Yeah, we will. And finally, please welcome back the inaugural guest of the Would You Die podcast, a talented and accomplished filmmaker, whether he be writing or directing, my dear friend and my fellow Spartan, Brett Miller. What's going on, Austin? Thanks for having me, man. Always happy to be back. Uh, lucky <laughs> to be, very lucky for me to be the OG uh, guest. So I'll take, I wear that with a bad, you know, sort of a badge of honor. So appreciate you, man. Of course. And I, I had no uh, I had no other people in mind for my first guest when I when I started this podcast I knew it was going to be you so <laughs> I'm glad I'm very happy you said yes appreciate that man as we talked about <laughs> couldn't couldn't turn you down I appreciate that <laughs> look at us just appreciating each other. <laughs> <laughs>
I know we mentioned this on the very first episode of the podcast, which is strange to say about 70 episodes in now, which that's strange to say. But uh, we both met at Michigan State. We sure did. We sure did. Many, uh, many years ago now. Boy, I don't want to think too much about it, but that's, <laughs> yep, we're both MSU grads and we met on a project um, while you were a student and I had yes. just graduated. I had just finished. Um, we both had the same mentor and uh, yeah, man, that was, that was, that was super fun. It was for a little short, little horror short called The Seer. It was a, you played like the little uh, son uh, to uh, yeah. the you know the little ghost child. That was, that was such a, was so fun. I have to I have to watch that sometime soon because it's like a decade old now. Um, oh God, yeah, it thinking is. back isn't that spooky? <laughs> yeah, I graduated college ten years ago now. It's really really trippy, but yeah, it was a, it was a great little project, and we and we that was where we first got to know each other, and we we worked on projects since, and uh, definitely uh, kept in touch and, and been able to we hung out a little bit when we when we're in the same town, but um you know this kind of. Uh, this is sort of where the internet's at its best in a lot of ways. We've been able to keep in touch, even though we live across the country from each other. And um, we always have that shared love of uh, horror movies and, and Spartan sports. You know, we're always going to have that. <laughs> exactly. And I'm just realizing I dropped the ball setting this up. I could have easily had a seer reunion because both Betsy Baker and Bill Vincent are on this special. Those listening, you already heard them. <laughs> yes yes betsy uh was the lead she played madame moira and bill uh wrote the script bill has been a mentor of mine for almost two decades now now that i think about it really trippy but uh yeah he, he wrote the script and and he, he really wanted a, a a role with betsy and and so we were able to set it up and and we shot it on the heels of summer born which was my first feature film we we shot also written by bill vincent we shot that film uh a couple months before so that was sort of like a get the band back together and shoot another you know shoot another fun project so i'm proud of it it was fun that was a fun little thing and it kind of has like a you know it's not i wouldn't say twilight zone because it's not it doesn't really, it's a little more ghostly and gothic like yeah. than that, but it's got a little fun twist ending and it was a, it was a fun little project with a little jump scare too. So we, we did it right. That was fun. I had such a great time. I like to joke around that, uh, that was my first and last acting credit. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You haven't acted since. That's that's good. Oh, no. Oh, no. No, I'm not an actor either. <laughs> Shout out to actors. We need yes. you. We appreciate you because we can't do it. Oh, I no. certainly can't do it. No, no. I have, I've had a cameo or two. And every time I'm like, I should have just brought in someone who knows what they're doing because I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> like... Oh, man. at least Hitchcock like give himself a shot to like be, yeah. uh, have no lines or just kind of show his outline like that's what I should have done I should have done something stupid like that save <laughs> myself a lot of grief later but uh yeah that's funny I didn't realize that I, I love joking around and then people are like oh it wasn't I'm like it's okay acting is not my strong suit y'all yeah. can say it <laughs> but you're an excellent director because on the day you made me feel so good and then and then later on I'm like I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the dirty secret of filmmaking in general is that I think like a lot of it is like you're going with gut instinct and you're going with the sort of prep work that got you there. And so in a lot of times, I feel like I, I, I find myself thinking that often where I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing out here. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know what, how I got here, what I'm doing, where I'm at. But I think that's, I think that's sort of normal. And I think sometimes to like, go with a lot of a lot of those gut instincts and a lot of those things that got you excited about the project or excited about the day in the first place it's sort of good to follow those instincts because um, a lot of times they're more times than not they're right 
And, um, and if they're not, then it's a learning experience. Right. But if you put in the work before, if you, if you're really passionate about the, the, the subject, like can't go wrong, but it is, it is one of those things like not one of us does not feel like they have imposter syndrome. We all, we all do every day. I, I, yeah, we all do. I'm very appreciative because I don't know if I ever told you this, that was the first time I've ever been on a set. I'm that's, that's, you know, but I'll tell you, Austin, I, I'm, I believe that in a way that like, you know, you were what, what a freshman or a sophomore in, in undergrad, like, yeah, you had I was just gotten there really. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's one of those things. And that's what I always really appreciated about my time at Michigan state, especially with guys like Bill Vincent and, you know, Jeff Ray was awesome. And Bob Elber was like, you know, um, justice Nealon was, is great. Pete Johnson is still there. I like people that really put me in a position to get my hands dirty and really work on stuff as as soon as I could and in a way that wasn't always like a traditional school project type thing. Um, you know, the ability to be able to be like, okay, like these guys are doing, there's enough people around, there's enough mentors around, there's gear, there's places to go, there's prop. Like that's like such a great thing about being a part of a university like that is that like there's creatives all around you and everyone's so excited and everyone wants to kind of rip it and, you know, grip it and rip it and see what they can yeah. make and see what, you know, cause that's the thing. And that's like the thing that like, I, I heard of, I was listening to somebody the other day talk about like, there's that, that stand up comedy, like sort of uh rule that you, you got to just kind of throw it out there. You can't wait mm-hmm. for your, your, your set to be perfect. You have to just do it and see what works. And I, and I think filmmaking is the exact same way. We have to be on set. We have to shoot. We have to, we have to, I can't tell you how many like times I was at MSU as like a 19 year old. And I like look at my camera and I was like, Oh, my shutter speed was off somehow. I must've bumped the camera or I must not know what I'm doing, which are, both are possible. But <laughs> you know, there's that level of like being okay with the mistakes because then it's going to lead you to fixing it for the next time. Right. And, and that was, that was such a key part of like my development and, and, and some of my, my, you know, sort of victories I've had and, you know, up to now is that I had the opportunity to sort of like, I had enough of a parachute to fail. So I felt comfortable trying, I felt comfortable jumping out of the plane. I I hope that makes sense. No, you know, that makes perfect sense. Cause you know, you have that parachute to help out. It gives you the courage, I guess, to take the leap. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Save my life. (laughs) (laughs) And talking about filmmaking, I think it's very important to fail. I think so too. And I also think that there's like different kinds of like, you know, I think there's different kinds of failure. And I think that people yeah. think of failure as like the biggest, like the scariest thing and the worst thing. And I think the, I think sometimes what gets people thrown off is they think of cinema and they think of filmmaking, like, and they think of what they want to direct. They think of like Quentin Tarantino, right? Where like yeah. Quentin Tarantino has that whole thing about how like he wants to have the perfect filmography and he wants everything to be perfect. And I just don't, I don't, I don't understand that. I don't totally understand that. I mean, I think that's sort of why he's only going to make 10 films, right? Mm-hmm. And though he's kind of, he's kind of, I don't want to say full of shit, but a little bit because... <laughs> You know, he did direct a movie before Reservoir Dogs, a movie that, well, a feature film that was sort of, you know, a, a first film and it has yeah. those sort of problems. And like, so he got to learn from that. He got to see what worked, see what didn't really lean into it and be like, oh, that one little decision I made, like totally wrecked this scene. And now the movie doesn't flow as well. Like what the heck happened? Like that, that's, I mean, that is like 
gold because you're not going to, and you know, if you're worth your weight in anything, you're not going to make that mistake again. You're not going to do the same thing. Um, so I think that's super, super important. And I think, I think sometimes we get, we forget about that. We sort of lose that. We sort of lose our eye. Uh, you know, our eye falls off the prize a little bit because we want, yeah. because we think what we're supposed to be. We think, and it, part of it's also internet culture right? and social media cultures. Like we think we're supposed to be perfect to try right. to put out a, a, a sort of look of, of perfection. And I, I yeah, think, you know. I think a lot of people are afraid of the criticism and like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be like off flicks and be like, I'm so tough. I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm afraid of that too. Don't get me mm -hmm. wrong. <laughs> but like, if you're going to make movies, you're going to get trashed online. If you're going to mm. do anything with artistic or even 1% creative value, you're even if you don't, sure. if, even if like you play sports where that's more athletic, people get dogged on in, in sports all the time. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think sports is an interesting comparison because I do, I think of especially screenwriting, it's really it's so yeah. easy to think about it like baseball, right? You know, everyone thinks about being a professional baseball player and being like, you know, oh, well, I got to be in the major leagues. Everyone thinks about being a screenwriter, a professional screenwriter, and being like, oh, well, I have to be writing studio films every year. There's three levels of professional baseball, right? There's single A, yeah. double A, triple A. It's not the majors, but you're a pro ball player and you're, and you have to like, just like when you're writing a script and you look at that one page and you're like, today, this one page is going to be the best one page I've ever written. A double A ball player has got to look and say, you know, I got to get on base. I have to get on base today. I want to have no errors in the field and I have to get on base and get three or four cracks at it. I have to get on base. That's that's just sort of in my in the moment that's today. And then you break it down even more and it's like, okay, this is my approach to this picture. This is my approach to this situation. This is sort of what I need to do in this moment to succeed. And I think a lot of times, like we, we just imagine like Miguel Cabrera bases loaded in, in the bottom of the ninth. And it's like, that's not, that's, that's not the only level of success. And that's not the, that's not the only way to sort of quantify success. So, and I think it's unfair to ourselves to be like, oh, well, you know, I didn't do a good enough job there. I didn't, you know, getting too hard on yourself or something over there or, or, or whatever. And I think at the same time, that kind of opens yourself up to getting broken down by some of those criticisms, right? Because I think at the end of the day, Steph Curry doesn't care what Skip Bayless says about him, right? He doesn't yeah. care about what random Twitter person says. So don't worry about that criticism. But I mean, we speaking of Spartans, Draymond Green yeah. talked about how Tom Izzo got in his ear a little bit. Draymond doesn't care. Draymond doesn't care about any random Twitter user, right? Anybody, any yeah. random sports radio guy. Tom Izzo said, hey man, you're effing up. Don't let don't let the refs get into your head like that. That criticism has to spark change. So when like a filmmaker you trust or a mentor you you look up to, when they say like, hey, you're messing up or hey, work on this or hey, do better with that, that is not like curl up in your shell and be sad. That's, you know, kick it off, kill it. Go do the next one do better because there are i mean like even good film critics man they don't know they don't always know what they're talking about they don't and they yeah. also don't always know like what like went into a project or how a problem was solved or what people were thinking and like there's they can only judge the final product and and oftentimes like the the, the product isn't a total i mean it, it ends up being a representation of, of of all the hard work because that's cinema right that's art right. you know we have to judge what's in front people have to judge what's in front but they also aren't thinking totally of like 
there isn't totally that level of like, okay, well, they lost a day because the crew got COVID or they, uh, or there was a storm. And so they had to move that scene inside and it doesn't really like have the same dramatic pull or, you know, so it's, I think it's always taking a level of like heartbreak or criticism, taking it with a grain of salt, but at the same time, like pick and choose who you're comfortable getting that criticism from and then like learn from it and get better from it. Exactly. And like to your point on like criticism, because I agree with you, because I think film criticisms and art and sometimes very good critics don't put out the best review. And I don't mean like whether the movie's good or bad. I mean, like I mean, like they didn't put in their best work as a reviewer when engaging with a certain film, because sometimes you can tell when, say, certain critic who hates horror movies goes and sees something like hereditary and gives it a bad review well the guy doesn't like horror movies you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and no it's absolutely like true. A factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah, i was gonna say that like i was gonna yeah. say that like criticism is is an art form and yes. what i would what i would argue is that like a, a critic's opinion doesn't necessarily have to be any more or less valid, but I think about it's the same way. It's easier for people to grasp because I have people talk about it all the time. Like, oh, the critics say that movie. What are they thinking? I'm like, well, a, a, a film critic, it's easier to sort of think about it in the way of a food critic. Think about a food yeah. critic. A food, a food critic can't explain to me that some weird oystery dish that's only found in this one region is like the perfect, the epitome of flavor, right? I like a good New York strip. That's what I like, right? I like pizza. That's what yeah. I want to eat. So that critic has what he knows scientifically. He knows via education. He's a good writer. He or she's a good writer, you know, and he's yeah. able to get to, uh, okay, this is this is what makes this random dish so delectable. But at the same time, he can only speak for himself. He can't necessarily yes. speak for me or he can't necessarily speak for the rest of the audience. But he does have a level of, education above a layman person above me who isn't a chef or doesn't even care about food really i like like i said i like steak and pizza and uh you know that's that's you know but i i can also but like i said i can respect at the end of the day that person does is more qualified to be able to sort of explain an opinion what throws me off is less whether or not a person likes it and it's 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 more if a person can't really defend it or just sort of like is able to just say well yeah that's that's just no good or this is just really bad. I saw there's a couple, especially recently, there was a couple of uh, horror movies that came out that I just sort of was like, I just was really surprised. Some of the, some that were like objectively not very good films were getting really, really, really good reviews. Mm -hmm. Um, And they weren't really explaining why and they weren't really, they were just sort of like, yeah, this person played this role and this person played that role. And then I, and then, and you see on their Twitter that they got like a goodie bag from, from the studio. And I'm like, yeah, there it is. So like that <laughs> happens too. So, you, you know, I just, I just think that like, it's, a, that just is another example of kind of what we're talking about here is that, you know, you just, everything has to be like, everything sort of has to be yes. taken with a grain of salt. And I know for me, I have, a, I have a handful of people in my, especially with screenplays where I'm trying to get notes. Um, I have a handful mm-hmm. of people in my, uh, in my uh, sort of at- stratosphere here that like they, uh, they'll be for real and they'll be, and they'll get me and, 
and they'll let me know if something's not working. And I just, I know not to be offended by that. I know that even if like the note isn't valid, that there's something, there's a reason they're feeling that way. And again, I met, met most of those people in and around MSU. Um, Bill's definitely one of them. Yep. And my producing partner, Victor Lord is another, like there's people like that, that I just, I, they're the ones I go to and they can be brutal with me because I know, because I trust their opinion and I know who they are and I yeah. know what their integrity is. And I know that, and I know what they do and don't understand about my work or about cinema or about that time period or whatever it is. Right. That's, yeah. I think it's important to know because it can just be easy to just sort of poo poo and be like, they didn't know what they're talking about. Exactly. Maybe they did, or maybe they didn't. I mean, who knows? It's just, you got to kind of get to quantify it yourself. And you also know, no matter what they say, you know, that because these are people that like they've been in the trenches with you, so to speak, you know, they got your back and they say it with love, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if it's the most brutal criticism, it's not coming from a place of, well, you suck. And I don't know. It's coming from a place that you're, you know, I want this to be the best film, like the best work you put out. Agreed. And I've had people like that at MSU as well. Speaking of which we went on one of our legendary tangents of the what do you die podcast how did you end up at michigan state i i ended up at michigan state my i've had i had several uh, family members that went to msu my mother was a big one and she she did to me what my grandfather did with her which is essentially like force she forced me to like go on a lot of college tours, speak to a lot of professors, see a lot of people, do a lot of different things. And when I was like 15 or 16, and she called Bill Vincent and asked if I could come in and and uh, sit in on a class. And I sat in his screenwriting, his it would have been screenwriting, whatever, 301, the screenwriting one class. And I uh, I was hooked. I was so excited about it. I was excited by the the size of the campus. I was excited by the sort of diversity of the of the student body. I was excited about you know the opportunity to really spread my wings in a place that has a has a great history and a place that has had great filmmakers before. And I think one of the things that I like to sort of say. I mean, there's you know there's that there's that fun rivalry with the University of Michigan and and you know U of M has some great. Uh, really talented alumni that are working today. They have great talented alumni that really shaped cinema, you know, throughout the years. Um, the thing I like about the people that came out of MSU are is that they're 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 typically roll up their sleeves and do it kind of filmmakers. Sam Raimi's an obvious one, but but I'm a big Walter Hill fan. Walter Hill went to Michigan State for a time, and and you know I know how much you love Alien. Well, Walter Hill's the guy who essentially put Alien on the map, right? And he 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 made these great thrillers. He still is making great films, but he made these great, great thrillers in the 70s and 80s and, and, and in the 90s. And he, uh, you know, he he's sort of like that Paul Schrader type. We're going to just shoot this. We're just going to get this done in any way. I'm going to think like a writer, producer, director, gaffer. I'm just going to be able to get my, wrap my head around every single thing of this production working that way. And sort of, I, I like that sort of... Uh, blue collar, like I said, roll your sleeves up kind of approach to yeah. filmmaking. It's the kind of films I like to make. It's the kind of films I like to watch. Um, so I always sort of felt like I was more, I always felt like my personality and I always felt like my, I always felt like who I am was drawn more to a place like Michigan State than anywhere else um, in my in my sort of uh, world. So I, I went 
and um, graduated in 2013. And, but I, I, that was what sort of led me to, it was sort of my mom forcing me to sit down in <laughs> classrooms and meet people and do the whole thing. So I love that. Cause I, I agree. I feel like I'm the type of person that what's the word I'm, well, I, I call it the Spartan mentality because I think I got sure. it from Michigan State. But even before I went to Michigan State, what attracted me to Michigan State was there was this we can do anything, just got to mm -hmm. put in the work. Sure. And I it's think there's a, a lot of us like of, that. Yeah. And it's just a different type of, you know, it's a top 50 university in the world. Yeah. It's a Big Ten institution. It's But the type of person that goes to Northwestern and the type of person that go to Michigan State are different, right? And it's right. like how everyone acts, how everyone, you know, how, how, the type of people they are, the type of circles they run in, the type of communities they come from. Uh, it's just different. And um, I'm happy with my choice every day. I'm, every day I'm happy with yeah. my choice. So, And I love, I love, I love this school with all my heart. And uh, it's, it's funny because growing up, I always thought I'd go to the other big school in Michigan because <laughs> uh, especially down river area, it's a big, uh, we're closer to Ann Arbor than we are to Lansing, you know? <laughs> sure. And growing up, I mean, a lot of people only know colleges through their football programs. So they were the big dog 20 years ago. And <laughs> that kind of stayed while uh, growing up. So I imagined growing up, I would go there. And then as I was like making my decision in high school, I realized in the middle of applying to this other school, which everyone you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I realized I just didn't fit. They weren't for me. What was this Michigan State like? <laughs> and I went I went there just on a hunt. And it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. Yeah, it was great for me, too. And, um, you know, I really still to this day feel like I'm a part of a community. You know, yes, I see a Spartan. I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I see a Spartan shirt. Pretty much every week, I have a Spartan uh, State of Georgia license plate. With my, with the, they got they had that option, right? There was only mm -hmm. fifteen or so schools, and MSU was one of them. I went to a Atlanta Braves game, and they had Michigan State night. You know, like that with alumni all over the place. Like that was fun. It's cool to be a part of something bigger than me. Yeah, um, that's just sort of my opinion. That's just that's what's best. That was what's best for me. So, and it's something that we'll have forever. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. We're lucky in that way. Um, just a few more questions are really two. This is a horror movie podcast still. And I gotta ask, do you have any horror movie related memory memories at Michigan State? Oh well plenty. I mean I shot a ton myself. I, I yeah. shot a ton of horror movies. Yeah, uh, Bill Vincent was was typically involved. I had a great little horror short that I did that like looking back was like really contrived and bad. <laughs> but it was so much fun to make. And I shot it in Morrill Hall. Morrill Hall was the former building where Bill's class was. It had a lot of classrooms. The thing with Morrill Hall that is both interesting and sort of heartbreaking is that it was the very first co-ed dorm in the United States. The very first one, it you know opened whatever 150 years ago, kind of thing. Um, I have oh, it's actually over here. My I have a brick from Morrill Hall because they demolished it. They they tore Morrill Hall down, and uh, so I got a when when it went down, I sort of went out and got my brick. And obviously, like I wish that famous building was still up. I wish they could have just kept it instead of putting a little square in there. But you know, on to big on to new things. 
Um, but I shot a great, I shot my, you know, my horror films, a lot of my horror films there. And uh, a lot of, a lot of uh, low budget indie horror films also shot in, in Morrill Hall. And there was a lot of fun ghost tours that used to go on through there. And, Cause it was in the, you know, it was in the shadow of Beaumont tower. And so there was a mm. bunch of great memories up and down there. It was, it was creepy old building it was awesome it was my kind of building for sure <laughs> and so like for me being able to sort of be a part of that canon and sort of enjoy that and while it lasted was really really great because they literally i'm not joking i graduated i graduated michigan state in 2013 they demolished moral hall the summer after i graduated so when we were done filming some are born that's when they i remember like riding my bike up to Chicago. i have to see it i'm still in east lansing i have to go see yeah. it and obviously you know breaks your heart but you know, my last semester at Michigan State, I had a class. I had a class with Bill and, and Moral, and that was uh, so like being a part of that. And like, and you know, I don't, I love ghosts. Don't get me wrong, I love the <laughs> ghost movie. I don't actually believe in ghosts, but mm-hmm. I, uh, I, it, it was a creepy building. It was a creepy building, and I wouldn't if there was ever a ghost to be found. I bet it would be in there. Um, so <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to be a part of that. I love that. That's awesome. I wrote plenty of short. Uh, awful short script uh, horror monster movies at Michigan State, taught by the wonderful Bill, because I loved his screenwriting course. Yeah, that's great. That, that was mm-hmm. one of my favorites. No, I love that story a lot. I think we'll conclude with the most important question. What does it mean to you to be a Spartan? What it means to be a Spartan for me, that's a that's a good one, Austin. Um, what it means to be a Spartan for me is baked in that point I made of community and and togetherness. Michigan State has recently gone through a terrible tragedy. We we I I uh, you know the students who lost their lives um, over the winter are in my thoughts and they're in all of our thoughts mm-hmm. and you know when that happened it felt like it had happened to me because in a sense it did happen to me. It happened to all of us. Um, it's sort of like you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Yeah, and I think where there's well, there's pain there. That's there's also strength, and there's strength in numbers, and there's strength in the idea of people's experiences. You know, you having the same experiences with so with thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, there's so many alumni all over the place who we all ate at the same, you know, at the same cafeterias. We all slept in the same dorms. We all like we all had too much to drink at Rick's cafe. <laughs> you know, Rick's American yeah. Cafe. Good old Rick's. Um, and we all you know took our parents to uh show you know show them campus when we were when we were tailgating on a saturday and you know there's so many like things that 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 all make us one so to me at, at the end of the day it really comes down to community and it really comes down to like what it means to be a part of something big and, and, and what it means to be there to support each other and to be positive with each other and to you know affect change and, and to affect growth with ourselves and our communities so it's it's togetherness it's community for me for sure and I love that you say that because it's so true. I mean, this this podcast episode wouldn't be possible if Michigan State didn't have this sense of community because I was able to bring in people from all different generations with Bill, with Betsy, with Josh Mallerman, who I didn't know before this. You recommended that I talk to him and I just happened to have a friend who knows him. And then like he's like, yeah. I mean, I met Betsy, Bill, and you through Michigan State, but it's like, it's crazy where Michigan State has this communal aspect to where two total strangers are now friends. <laughs> shared experience, went, man. Shared experience. Shared experience. Huge and, 
and and with that shared experience is good and bad right it's yes. it's it's the joys of ultimate successes we all remember what it was like to get a you know, to sort of storm out of Wells Hall with the grade that you've got, you know, like, yes, I yes. thought I bombed or, you know, like we all remember what it was like. I, I mean, I, you know, I remember how hard I worked to even get into the school, right? I remember yeah. like really pushing myself and really like, you know, just to even like be allowed to walk into the doors. And I felt that way with every school I applied to. I felt that way with every project I'm part of. I always try to be really like, think about it and what I put into it. You know, I think having that level of shared experience and everyone knows, we all know, like we've all had tremendous heartbreak on that campus. It's, it's really formative years, right? We've all like, we've had, we've, we've heard terrible news at, in, you know, at parts in that campus. We've all stayed way too late in that library for a test that we, yep should have already been studying for, right? And we all remember hanging out around DMAT and, and you know, my, my producing partner, Victor, he met his wife at the communication building. Like just, they were just, they would always walk by each other and they ended up just kind of talking and hanging out and doing homework. Like, it's just like, you, you know, you have these, there's just this shared experience and this communal, you know, sort of understanding that I, it's just hard. It's really hard to explain. And, and every once in a while, I'll get into a talk or into a discussion with a friend who who either didn't go to school or or went to a small school or just kind of like floated around. And I'm and and I had a buddy one time who says, you know, I don't really feel like I missed out on the experience. And I go, that's that's cool. You, you know, I'm, it's cool that it worked for you. But I'm I'm telling you, you missed out on something because I can't express how much better my life is because of my experience at Michigan State. So I love that place, man. It's so hard to describe um, what it's yeah. done for me, but uh, it's good to jump on and talk about it for people to listen about us, talk about it. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> that's what we're, uh, that's what we're about here at uh, Would You Die, the Michigan State edition, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. Spartans in horror. I mean, the that's Spartans right. will. <laughs> so this has been wonderful. It's always a blast talking to you, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I, I definitely am looking forward to being back. Um, until you know then, <laughs> keep, keep keep shooting fun movies and keep writing good movies for me to see because uh, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying them so far. So and likewise, I love everything you do. So <laughs> go green. That's right. Go white, baby. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to my fellow Spartans, Josh Mallerman. Betsy Baker, Bill Vincent, and Brett Miller for making this tribute to Michigan State possible. A reminder, I just became an affiliate for Fangoria, one of the premier brands in horror. I definitely recommend checking out their magazine and even subscribing. And if you decide to do that, don't forget to use the promo Would You Die Show for 20% off your entire order. Another reminder, if you like my show and want even more Would You Die goodness, feel free to sign up for my Patreon. Bonus episodes, movie commentaries, and much, much more with tiers at $5, $10, and $20 a month. Check out my page now, and you can sign up for a free trial on the $5 and $10 tiers to see if you like the bonus content. Any support you can give would greatly be appreciated. Today, I'm happy to announce that next week, Wednesday, June 14th, we are launching an Indiegogo campaign for my next horror short film, Spider a creepy crawly monster flick based out of my own low-key arachnophobia. Spider is the first true monster movie I'll be making, and I couldn't be more excited. More details will be rolling out soon, but it's going to star rising horror star Spencer Madison, whose credits include The Demons Within, Wolf Hollow, 
and Phantom Fun World. It's going to feature music from the great Josie Palmer, who longtime listeners of the show know very, very well. It's written and directed by yours truly. And yes, the spider is practical. I got a great crew assembled and I cannot wait to get started. Please consider donating and if you can't, no worries. I I get it, but please, please share. It doesn't cost anything to share the campaign and uh, we're gonna need all the help we can get to make this, this dream, or should I say nightmare, a reality. Keep your eye on my social media and uh, more details are soon to come. On this segment of I Know What You Watched Last Week, in which I tell you about the horror films I watched last week, I watched The Howling, Influencer, The Blob, 1958, Silver Bullet, and the new release, The Boogeyman. I'm not going to go into each of them because this episode was so hard to get together and I'm running a little bit behind. Um, Editing Austin's going to love this. But yeah, I liked all these all these were good. The new Boogeyman was really good too. So if you're if you're a fan of horror, uh, horror, don't be turned away by the fact that it's PG-13. It, there's some good stuff in there. You can find this show social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. Also, now you can follow me on TikTok at Would You Die Podcast, where it's become mostly shit posts of Gizmo dancing to random music I find, including one that went viral last week. 675,000 views and counting, 125,000 likes, and it was probably one of the most unhinged ones I've done so far, so that's fun. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on three on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode. Well, in this particular one, the beginning is performed by my friend John Owens, and the end of the episode is composed by my friend Josie Palmer. Next week is a monster of an episode, so squat up, fam. I I think that's how young people talk nowadays. Until next time, I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die.